Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hey, I'm Adam Carolla. Hi, my name is Penn Gillette. Not only listening, I'm the guest. I'm a pen and teller, and I am the fourth listener. And I am the fourth listener. And that must make me at least the fourth listener. To keep our three listeners coming back, we must be doing something right. And if you're the fourth listener, we thank you for the support. You can get every episode with no ads at patreon.com slash David C. Smalley and take advantage of your fourth listener status. And we're going to sue David Smalley for slander. With a world divided... It's time to resurrect nuance and remember the importance of conversation. He's an actor, he's a comedian, and he'll make you think. This is David C. Smalley. I hope you had a wonderful holiday and a very safe and happy new year. So excited to be back with you. I just got back in from the Dallas area and had an absolute wonderful time with family and friends and meeting listeners who came out to the shows at the Addison Improv. I know I met John and I met April and a couple of other listeners and fans and groups of people who were like, we heard about it from the podcast. We wanted to say hi. Uh, and some of them, I just don't remember their names and I apologize, but it was wonderful uh, for, for the for the patrons and fourth listeners who came out. Uh, thank you so much for supporting that. And it was great meeting you. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a unique feeling standing in a comedy club where I just made a bunch of people laugh and people are drinking to then have someone come up and say, you know, your podcast changed my life or, you know, I have a relationship with my sister again because of your podcast. It, it's, it's kind of crazy the juxtaposition that is my life and that, you know, a lot, and the comics are going, like comics are standing next to me. And after you guys walk off, they're like, what's so great about your podcast? Like what? they, they just see me as a comedian. They don't know that for 11 years, you know, we've been going through this together and that we've been trying to build bridges and deal with all these really serious, deep topics. They're like, uh, I just heard you telling penis jokes up there while you're drinking beer. So, uh, how have you had an impact on anyone? And I'm like, yeah, well, it's a complicated story. You'll have to listen, I guess, and figure it out. Um, but, uh, the, the listeners and, and the fans of the show are coming out to the comedy shows and, and I'm, 
I'm just so touched by it. And I love, I love hearing that you've been with me for however many years or that, that I've had an impact in your life. And, uh, it's an honor. It really is an honor. It's very humbling to hear that. So, uh, thank you for that. And yes, I love taking pictures with the listeners. So don't be shy. Say, can I get a picture? Absolutely. If that's what you want, I love doing it. So, uh, and I'm about to have a whole lot more opportunity because this tour that I've been talking about is booked. It's happening. Um, I'm coming to San Diego and then I've got some shows in Los Angeles, San Diego, Burbank, and then I'm going to San Diego. Uh, I may have just said San Diego, a uh, Chula Vista, um, and then back to Hollywood. And then I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas for like four nights. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma for four nights. I'm in Wichita, Kansas for three nights, and this is all in March. And before then, they're trying to confirm Dallas, uh, Tempe, Arizona, and Las Vegas. So if you just heard your area in any of those cities, I need you to do something. I need you to text my tour hotline. It comes to me anyway, by the way. There's an app on my phone where this all goes to, and my manager is going to have access to seeing how many people are in each city. So it's just us, basically. It's family. Text the tour hotline and let us know that you're in that area. It's 424-306-0798. 424-306-0798. Shoot a text there. You'll get a link back. Click that link. It asks you like your first name, last name, email, and what city you're in, I think. And that'll put it, you know, that'll store you for like Arkansas. It'll store you for, you know, uh, Nevada or whatever. And, and when I come to that state, you'll get a text with a link. Here are the dates I'm available. Uh, click here to grab tickets. And if there are any special offers, if I get guest lists or if I get free tickets available, that's how I'm going to give them to you is through that text. So one more time, the number is 424-306-0798. I'm putting the show out like right now. And tonight I'm in Burbank, so it's probably a little late for Burbank, but yeah, for sure, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Wichita, Kansas, Los Angeles, um, Dallas, and Little Rock and San Diego. And I think there's even a, a the, the, the Chula Vista I called San Diego, but it's essentially the same, same area. So uh, if you want to go see all the dates and what's going on without texting, it's davidcsmalley.com. The tickets are available right now on my website. So while I was in uh, Texas for the holidays and for a couple of comedy shows, I was able to go out to Tyler, Texas, which is pretty far from where my mom is. But I made the drive because Pastor Chris Legg uh, had me out a couple of years ago, I think like 2017. And um, oh, that wasn't a couple of years ago. Uh, never mind. He had me out in 2017 for Christmas. And uh, I was... He kind of he brought me up in front of his church and in front of the entire congregation, and we kind of had this sort of ask an atheist to open dialogue. What do you do when you're a non-believer with a bunch of religious family members? Conversation, and it was interesting that the majority of the questions were not like uh, they weren't hateful. They weren't like what's wrong with you or why are you broken or do you just like fornicating so you're turning against God. It wasn't the stuff you you tend to hear. You know the little arguments online. Most of it was like. I think my nephew is an atheist. How do I approach that without making him angry? You know, so I love doing talks like that or sitting down and having a Q&A with a pastor. So uh, as I'm on this tour, 
you know, I don't do a lot of comedy shows on Sunday nights. So if, or, or Sundays or even Wednesdays, usually it's, it's Thursday through Saturday. So it kind of works out perfectly. If your church and your pastor is kind of cool and you think they would want to do something like this, um, then, uh, let me know, leave a comment on Patreon or shoot me a message somewhere. Email me, go to the website and fill out the form contact, however you can get in touch with me. Let me know that your pastor's interested. Talk to your pastor first. Don't make me chase him down and beg. Um, talk to your pastor. If, if they're interested in having me out, I would love to do something like that. And we can record the audio and then release it as a podcast for everyone else to hear. So, um, he invited me back this, this time, but it was just for a podcast and no, my mom wouldn't come. I tried to get her to, she wouldn't, she wouldn't join me and you'll hear her exact quote as to why in just a moment when I play this podcast, but they actually do their own show out of their own studio and it's called the reconstructed faith podcast. And it kind of has this backstory and he's going to tell it, but it's like you hear about faith being deconstructed. And so they, they actually talk about atheist or, or reasons for atheists turning against the faith. And then they attempt to reconstruct their faith based on, uh, apologetics and answers and sort of reasons for the faith that they have. And it's, it's a really interesting thing. You know, uh, Chris Legg uh, came from, you know, he was raised in a household of scientists. So he's he's open for dialogue. He's open for challenges. And he's such an absolutely wonderful guy. They are just, the, the people of this church are, are some of the sweetest human beings I've ever met. And so um, if you get a chance to check out their podcast, definitely go do it. Um, but uh, this is their episode where I was their guest, but he generously gave me the raw audio so I could share it with you as my own episode. So here is uh, my guest uh, stent on the Reconstructed Faith podcast with Chris and Chris. So enjoy. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. And uh, obviously this is not Colson Lechner. This is Chris Legg. I'm one of the, usually one of the partners in crime. And today I am the, I don't know what that makes Most. me, like the the head crime boss or something sure. like that, which is usually <laughs> Colson. But, um, and uh, we are here on December 27th, which is how much we love you guys. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here on December twenty seventh, mm -hmm. and uh, and also because that's when our special guest was available, and so uh, we're excited to uh, introduce to you guys our special guest. And so first, I'm going to hand off. So our special guest, David Smalley. Um, I'm first. I'm going to hand it off quickly, David, to Chris Sherrod. Chris, if you would just summarize for David real quickly what this podcast oh, yeah. is and what we're trying to accomplish and et cetera. So sure. okay, yeah. okay, nail it. And then we still get to get to know each other. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So great. So we started this. Uh, Chris and I every year do some kind of a training for our, our parents and our youth here on apologetics, why we believe what we do, worldview stuff. And um, we both love it and we enjoy it. And we realized um, it, it'd be fun to do it more than just once a year. But then also we have a lot of connections with because um, of the Forge program that, that – uh, we're both a part of an, in Pine Cove that is a lot of college students over the years. Um, and then the youth, obviously, that are in, in, in the church there. We just got a lot of contact of people who either as they move away or move on in life, either um, are questioning their faith or deconstructing their faith. That's the new phrase nowadays. But I think when we were younger, it would have been called questioning my faith right. or doubting or walking away, whatever it is. But deconstructing is the new um, the new way to put it. And uh, just more and more people that we knew were doing that. And so we realized, well, 
why don't we address some of the, the issues that's going on and see if we can help uh, be a resource. And if we can help you reconstruct anything, that would be great too. So we decided to call it Reconstructed Faith. Mm. So yeah. That's cool. I, yeah. Think, I think I may know why it's called Deconstructing now instead of Doubting. Okay. If I may. Please. I think the idea is that there are now tools available mm-hmm. to go analyze with the internet. You can cross-reference Bible verses in seconds as opposed to flipping through your Bible and things like that. So I, I think the, the, deconstruction, the, the deconstruction process seems a lot more... Methodical? Methodical, okay. formal, and intentional. Okay. And also fact-checkable, right. if that's a thing, right? So now, you know, you hear something at church, your pastor says something. It's, it used to be, and it was for me when I was going through this, it was, well, that's what the pastor said. Right. And it took me literally weeks to go through the verses he told me about and reference them with friends and other believers and, and, and people that were in the faith in order to go, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I found a mistake that my pastor made. Now you can do that in literal seconds on yep. your iPhone. You know? yep. So that just made, point. maybe why that's... That's true. Yeah. yeah. So that's where we are. And we're, we're fans of, as we say it, we're fans of deconstructing. We just think... Like we made the comment the other day, or Chris did, if if you watched a show, if you watched one of those builder shows and they had the the big move that bus moment and all that was there was a bunch of, you know, disarray and stuff torn down and <laughs> and bricks and asphalt, whatever, that, that wouldn't make for much of a show. That you're not done deconstructing, you also need to reconstruct. You need yeah. to build. Yeah. And uh and so anyway, but uh getting to know David. So David, if you wouldn't mind, take a second, introduce yourself to uh not only to our to everybody out there who may be listening, but uh, and of course you're you'll probably using this on your podcast as well, yeah, and so yeah. they all know you, but uh, but our our people don't, and and Chris doesn't. So right, right. yeah, sure, take First, it away. Let me just tell you, I appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, this is great. This is this open dialogue is going to be so important. Um, but yeah, and also letting me use this audio because I did drive a long way to get here. So that's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, thank you, <laughs> and have, thank you. Have, appreciate that. To have content for my show because uh, twenty four hours, right? What What do you mean? That's how long you drove? I drove yeah, well, twenty two from <laughs> from Los Angeles to the yeah, and then another yeah, pretty much. That's it, <laughs> it, it adds drove. up to yeah. I drove from Los Angeles okay, to wow. to Dallas. I, I'm a stand up comedian, uh, and I, I had shows in uh, Addison. I had one last night, the Addison Improv, and I'm there again uh, Wednesday on the 29th. Really? And okay. then uh, that's my primary job. Do that, and I host my podcast, David C. Smalley Podcast, okay. uh, where I'm an atheist and I speak with believers typically. Um, who are either questioning or they come on to tell me why I should you know, join their faith. Mm-hmm. It's always a really good, fun dialogue. And then I do a, a live monthly podcast at the Hollywood Improv where we have a couple of celebrity comedians on. We deal with some current events or you know, make fun of some goofy country song or, or talk about <laughs> something in, in, in political news. And then we bring up up-and-coming comedians, let them do two minutes each. Okay. And then they get live feedback in front of a row of celebrity panels uh, in front of the audience, they wow. tell them what they think okay. about them right then, and you would think it would be mean, and it's really not. Uh, every comic that that did it on the the first one we did, they came up and they were like, "Man, that was so helpful." They gave me such good notes. They weren't even worried about the audience, because right. as a comic, you get used to failing in front of people quite often, and so uh, it's helpful. It, same it's, same it's, for it's pastors, fun. by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet Any, <laughs> anybody who Immediate goes out feedback. there, anybody who goes out there, man, yeah. you you know, you put yourself out there, you realize that's a part of it. You know, you're gonna have to go fall on your face sometimes. So. Yep. So yeah, that's what I did. I was a, I was a believer for uh, the first I would say 16 to 18 years of my life. Um, I had some doubts, had some questions. Um, started asking my preacher and, and, and 
pastors. I was a musician. I was in the music ministry. I was a drummer. Wow. And I was considering going to school to be a minister. And um, I just kept having these questions. And so I started reading the Bible on my own. I was baptized. And the moment that I was baptized really is what made me go, wait a minute, this is really official. Mm. And I'm really joining something important. And I remember the moment, and I talk about this in my book, uh, where, and this is why I called it Baptized Atheist, because the moment I was baptized, the, the pastor said, he goes, um, do you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you may enter the kingdom of heaven? And I said, yes. And then he said, then you're hereby saved in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when he, when he dipped me in the water, just it felt like time stopped. Mm. And, and I was just like, in that brief moment, as I, I paused my breathing, I thought, how does punishing the innocent pardon the guilty? That makes zero sense. Why would he allow his own son to go through that for just me? Mm-hmm. And why would he create this entire plan that would be so hurtful to so many people, including his own son? Uh, if he's in charge of the rules, he can make this so much easier. And then I was out of the water and I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, So I had all of these doubts start rushing in. And then I immediately was being given my assignments for soul winning and door knocking. Yep. And I just kind of went, I feel like I'd been given a jersey and put on a team and I didn't even know what sport we were playing. I didn't know any of the plays. I didn't understand it. But I'm somehow now a representative of it. And I noticed as I looked mm. into it, a lot of religions do that. Mormons and the, the people who are barely just like 17, 18 years old into the you're the you're the spokesperson mm-hmm. you're going to be hit with so many questions this is that's a that's rough you know so typically it's the other way around the person who knows more is the one should be knocking on doors like you know chris should be the one knocking on the doors going like to talk to you about our lord and savior because he's going to have answers for some of the questions so i felt like um a lot of that was already worrying me and i think the pastor saw some doubt on my face because he just said he didn't even look at me he just leaned down and he goes you know son you can't just say you believe you need to know this to be true in your heart mm-hmm. And I just went, I don't, I don't, I need to do research. I need to figure this out. Yeah. So I read the entire Bible and I chronicled my work and I ended up, I was trying to resolve these issues. I was trying to help other people with my doubts and I ended up uh, becoming an atheist mm-hmm. in, in the, in the, in the search for God. So that's kind of, and then, you know, then I started a blog I wrote, wrote the book, became editor of American Atheist Magazine, started the podcast. And for the last 11 years, I've been still searching for answers as a non-believer having pastors, preachers, and believers on the show to talk about their faith and why I should, why I should have faith as well. Wow. So that's kind of my, that's my, that's my elevator pitch story. And did you grow up in California? No, no, no. I grew up in Texas. I grew <laughs> okay. up, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, um, and uh, moved to Los Angeles. My podcast got somewhat popular. Uh, podcast One in Beverly Hills reached out to me, offered to move me out to Beverly Hills. Wow. So just like Jed Clampett, I, I loaded up the <laughs> loaded up the truck and uh, and moved. And then um, I'd, al- I'd always kind of flirted with stand-up comedy um, and really kind of started, started seriously in 2016. And so uh, immediately, because I had an audience or a following from the podcast, we could quickly pack out comedy clubs. So the clubs didn't really care that I was inexperienced. They cared that I put butt in seats, mm-hmm. uh, butts in seats, I should say. And so we did. We, we started packing out. Are you going to bleep out butts? <laughs> no, okay. no, no. I don't know how Christian done, this podcast done, was. We've done worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just checking. I'm, I'm, I'm running every because last no, but, night I was the opposite of this, and now I'm on a Christian podcast. Yeah, do, so I'm yeah. really trying to, do your best, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll probably make it. We'll be okay. Okay. We joked about having, for me or Chris, a, 
a, a buzzer that would, <laughs> but the but it's strange words. It's it's weird words that, that we're we're strange about. That's the other ones, but that's a whole other conversation. Gotcha. Yeah. So thankful, you know, I was thankful for the podcast audience because I was able to sharpen my. But you've changed the name of it. Yeah. It's no longer dogma debate. No, no, it was dogma debate for a while, and then I I don't like saying these words, but. My publicist was like, you can't, like, you need to make it your name because there are people who know Dogma Debate and don't know David Smalley. I'm trying to get David Smalley on radio interviews and book uh. comedy clubs, and you're wasting an opportunity for people to know your name. So we changed it. They got to put my face in all the graphics. It's a little, right, right. It's yep. a little embarrassing, but for branding, they're right. You know, they, that's what they needed to do. So, yeah, so now it's just called the David C. Smalley Podcast. And I also branched out. I don't just do religion. I, I, I take anyone who like has a strong belief about anything. We do, you know, people who believe in astrology and crystals and ghosts and near death experiences and Reiki healing and all of these sort of fringe beliefs. I just kind of challenge those in a respectful way and say, show me evidence for why you believe what you believe. Yeah. So that's kind of the point. But I, I try to keep it light as a comedian without <laughs> making fun of the person that's on the show, which right. is kind of a delicate line to, to walk, you know? Yeah. Yep. I feel like especially today. <laughs> yeah. Today's, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like people are yeah. so sensitive. Absolutely. To Absolutely. Absolutely. So when did you do, when did you come out here before to the church and do the live debate thing here? Is that 2019? 2017. Gosh, I went and looked really? it up. It's been that long. It's been that long. Wow. Yeah, in 2017. So I was on, uh, if you remember, wow. so the, the way we met, the um, I challenged at an Easter service, I, I kind of unpacked the rational case for the um, resurrection and then made a comment about how frustrating it was that I had tried to get in with any of the atheists agnostic free thinkers groups in, in any anywhere in Texas, in East Texas especially, and none of them would let me come. None of them were willing to, even to let me just come, much less come and ask me. I was like, I will come. I'll sit in that's, a chair in the middle. That's bizarre to me because every group I know would love to have you to have that discussion. So Man, that's, well, that's shocking to me. <laughs> I literally they, was, they might have thought you just wanted to show up and preach to a bunch of atheists, which they wouldn't allow. But yeah, right. I mean, you, if you're willing to be questioned and to sit and talk, I don't know. Who would turn that down? That sounds fascinating. Well, apparently everybody around here. So so what happened was, so a guy in the audience knew about David's podcast and said, well, I don't know about the atheist around here and such, but I'll, I'll bet this guy will talk to you and, and we'll do it. And so I was on the show twice back then in 2017. And then, then uh, we had you come out here, or you came out here, mm-hmm. and you and I sat on stage. And actually... David and I sat on stage and, and took turns answering questions that people oh, yeah. asked. Okay. And then, that, um, by the way, that's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Like, uh, honestly, as much as I love stand-up comedy, I love doing that world. I love that. I love acting. I recently, I was on a Nickelodeon TV show as a bad guy. <laughs> I, and by the way, if you see that, those kids were for real scared. Like that. <laughs> Because the script didn't call for me to run at them full speed, but I was in character, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's a different. It's called Danger Force if you want to look it up. Okay. But I was I was on the show. I was a criminal in a couple of ring commercials, breaking into you know houses and stuff. <laughs> and I think that kid saw some of those commercials and like had nightmares. Oh, yeah, about, I was gonna say, let me crawling through his window, and then I just show up at his job. You know, it's a little bizarre. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I love sitting with a pastor or preacher in front of a congregation putting a face to this and going, you know, atheism isn't some dark art where we're, you know, eating kittens and babies and painting our fingernails black in order to, you know, light candles and create 
demonic. Like, it's just this so misunderstood concept. Many of us paint our fingernails black, but for different reasons. It's because it matches our pants, you know? Yeah. There's different reasons for it. <laughs> and it, there's just, there's a humanist side to this. There's a, most of the people, and this is going to sound weird, and we can get into the conversation why in a minute, but yeah. most of the people I know who at one time were believers and are now atheists, it's because of the love they have in their hearts for humanity mm-hmm. that make them turn against the God of the Bible. Mm. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So they, these people are really loving, they're really peaceful yet they're sort of branded in our society as evil or demonic. And it's just not the case. It's quite the opposite. They're some of the sweetest human beings you'd ever meet. So um, that, that level of misunderstanding is why I love having those conversations in front of, in front of congregations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really eye-opening thing for a lot of people. And I brought my mom last time, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. My mom was swarmed at and the end of it because they were like, how do you have a son that's an atheist? How do you <laughs> talk to him? Does he come to Christmas? Does he come to Easter? There were so many questions for her. You know? Yeah. Yeah, she loved it. Yeah. In fact, you were with, um, I think your wife and son mm-hmm. were with you as well at yep. the time. Yep, and daughter too. I don't know if and my, daughter. Daughter, my daughter came. I don't remember if she was, I don't think she made it yeah. for whatever reason. I don't think so. No. Um, okay, so here's one of the questions I had. And by the way, that is still on, if you go to southspring.org and you go down the seminars, I checked this morning to make sure it's still, it is, it's still there. You can go back and watch that uh, uh, that footage is as well. A, is there a number conversation. for, oh, it's video too? It's video. Oh, yeah, I it was video and audio. Video. I was probably picking my nose and all kinds of <laughs> No, we were in front great. of everybody. We okay. were we were we were both well behaved up there on the okay. stage. Um, is there a number to it? Like, how can they find it? Like, if they get to it, they scroll through. I'm sure it's it's, it's if you if it's at South Spring and you go to talks or teaching and you go down to the seminars, it's right there on the oh. main page. Oh, okay, it's cool. easy to find. Very cool. easy to find. All right. Cool. Um, so that's at southspring.org. The um uh one of my questions. So I was curious. You've we've not talked. A lot has happened in your life, and a lot has happened in the world since 2017. And uh, and one of our conversations. Uh, that we have periodically is uh, the need to deconstruct faith in humanity, which is obviously kind of the opposite of a humanist perspective. And so I was curious for you, big area, any any changes in your beliefs in the last four or five years? Any changes in your beliefs or any any viewpoint changes or any any different questions, any questions you've now had answered that you're like, okay, I need to take that off the table as a barrier or, or, or whatever. Just curious. You know, maybe spending a lot of time in comedy clubs with a bunch of drunk people at three o'clock in the morning. Maybe I like humanity a little less than I did last time, (laughs) but overall, no, it's pretty, you know, still pretty solid. I mean, um, I, I would say that some of the Bible verses that I would latch on to early on, I don't know if I did this in 2017. Okay. 
uh, I have applied a little more context to and stopped using those as arguments. Okay, okay. Uh, not that there's still not plenty more to talk about sure. and disagree with in the Bible, but there are, when, when atheists are brand new, they're typically very angry, right? They feel like they've been lied to. They feel right. uh, they're going to reject Christmas. They're going to reject everything, even culturally Christian. They're very upset. And with, a, you know, I understand. I get it. You know, they feel, they feel uh, lied to and betrayed and they feel duped and things like that. But um, they'll kind of latch onto verses. Like there's a parable, I believe, that Jesus is, is saying. I think the quote is something like, bring him bring the, the unbeliever before me and I'll slay him or whatever. The words are in red, so it's quoted as Jesus. And these guys will just latch onto it and go, look, Jesus wanted every atheist murdered. And like, he was a terrible person. And I'm going, no, like that. He was telling a parable of a king saying that. It wasn't the words okay. of Jesus saying mm-hmm. that. And so there, you know. There I was little, like, I cannot think possibly of what no, 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 it passage. Was, okay, that's right. what you're and saying. So, so little things like that. Uh, a lot of times in these conversations, especially apologists, especially the trained apologists, their go-to phrase is, you're taking that out of context, right. which make atheists typically roll their eyes into the back of their head because that's a go-to argument for anything you can't explain. It's context, context, context. And co- that's not always the best answer for that, you know, uh, but sometimes it is, and a situation right. like that would be what it is. But no, I would say that uh, I'm a little more careful as to the, the, the Bible verses I may use, but overall, I don't really have, I feel like I've never really had barriers i mean other than just logically thinking through things and i guess i walk up to that line of faith and go i just need more evidence that's the only difference between us you're willing to stop short and say i don't have absolute proof but i believe this with my heart and and uh, i'm gonna have faith that this is true and i stand at that same crossroad and say i can't step foot on that until i fully believe it so i i can't say that i have faith until I do. Yeah. And that's really the difference. It's, I wouldn't call it a barrier. So growing up, were you like a big question asker at church? Did you always ask the... Yes. Okay. Even before church. Okay. I was, I got nicknamed Encyclopedia Boy by my mom and sister because I was always trying to, I wanted to look things up. Yeah. Are you going to stab me? No, no, sorry. Oh. <laughs> He just pulled a knife. knife. I just never had it's a pastor. Enti- entirely a fingernail oh, issue. Oh, okay. I just never had a pastor pull a knife on me in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> I'm funny. glad I'm closest to the it's door. Right, I just right, want to right. back out of here. Besides, it's Texas. I, we are in Texas. I was exactly like, right. Yeah, this like, is normal. You're way more likely to shoot me. Than exactly right. Yeah. I think people are always surprised. If you go to our, our welcome desk, like oh, a first yeah. time visitor, you can get a knife. You can get a pocket knife. I think, did I give you a pocket knife when you were here? No. I'm sorry. No, no way so. I didn't. That's one of those, you know, you're in Texas when uh, that's your <laughs> you welcome. Church, hey, since church, you drove, you since you drove, I can grab you one before we leave. Yeah. yeah. Guests, guests of the yeah, not 20, church can get a pocket knife if they want. And not 25s too, or a little, little pocket gun. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, none of those. No. Oh, okay. We're not that far along yet. It's so <laughs> yeah. funny. What you were saying there about having to look stuff up. It, I was trying to explain even like to my kids. I was explaining this to my daughter not long ago, who's a teenager. I was like, listen, growing up, so this is, we're obviously a little older than you, probably by 10 years. But when a movie was done in the theater, it was done. Like, you were done seeing it. When I was right, a kid, right. oh, like yeah. when Star Wars stopped showing, you're like... Unless you bought another ticket or set through it or whatever. Right, or they, re- was over. Or they re-released it. But it's the same thing with, uh, if, you, if you don't know something. Like, you're driving with your friends, and you're like, I wonder what the lyrics are. And that's like, I can't tell. And you, you should be like... Yeah, I don't know. And then you just kind of go on with your yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. And now you can literally look it up now, or you can be like, well, what year was the whatever? And we'd always be like, 
Well, when we get home, we have encyclopedias and we yeah. can look those up. But. And I had, I was very low income. I was very poor, but we had an old set of encyclopedias from the 60s. Okay. And I remember hearing my mom and my sister argue about how far away the earth was from the sun. Uh-huh. And one was like, it's got to be like a million miles. The other was like, no, it's a couple thousand miles for sure. <laughs> and they were fighting about it. And I was like, this is, I was like maybe eight or nine. And I was going, this is not an argument that should exist. Like, there's an answer to this. Right, so exactly. Climb up on the hutch. I don't know if you guys remember. Is it 93 million? A hutch. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Oh, very good. Yeah. Thank you. And so I, I, I climb up and I find the, the part with the sun and I'm barely understanding words and I just find the picture and I go, it's this number. And they're like, oh, get out of here, encyclopedia boy. <laughs> like they were, and I was shocked that they weren't interested in facts. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. You don't care. You just want to keep having this ridiculous fight, even though the answer is right here in front of you. And so little things like that, I would always want to look things up. I always yeah. wanted to know. And I, that's, that was my drive for learning to read is figuring out the answers to yeah, stuff. Absolutely. And my mom even said, they stopped buying me toys because all I would do is take them apart. Yeah, right. I wanted to know what made the wheels turn. I knew it wasn't magic. Why is it that when you pull the car back and let it go, it just knows to take off? Yeah. That freaked me out, and I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So then I would get to the bottom of it, have it in pieces, figure out how the crank system worked, and then I would just be bored with it and leave it in pieces. <laughs> so I just destroyed all of my toys instead of playing with them. So yeah, I was I was always a question asker, including in church. Yeah, yeah. It's not always welcome. I don't know if you know. That. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Did you feel like where people? Frustrated with you? Was there anyone you met that was like, "I'm really glad you're asking these questions"? Or oh no! Usually no. met with no. Doubting. They didn't like it. They okay. didn't like it. And in fact, my pastor, when I was playing the drums in uh, in Everman, Texas, uh, my pastor got upset with me for asking questions and asked me to stay after church one day and walked me into his office and and he's like, "We're going to settle this once and for all. Like, you, you, what questions do you have? You ask me now privately. I don't want you spreading." demonic poison in my church mm. and i was mm. like okay he's like so what questions do you have and i said well so my first thing this is what i start my book with i go was jesus the son of god or is he the same as god mm -hmm. he's like well jesus is the same as god let me show you and he went from verse to verse to verse to verse showing that jesus was in fact our lord and savior and he is god and i went okay this is a baptist church and i'm like cool got it thank you and I go walking out of the office and I've got the Bible verses and I wrote them down and they're in my head and I was so excited. And then, then I go to work. I worked at a tire shop where these two brothers were and they were very religious. And I was so excited to share this news with them. And I was like, hey, man, I settled something. I solved my first big Christian mystery. I finally found out Jesus is not the son of God. He is the same as God. And you would have thought I had horns growing out of my head. <laughs> they were Pentecostal and they firmly believed that Jesus and God are two separate entities and that I was a heretic. And so as upset as they were, they were like, we need to speak with you at lunch, brother. I was like, okay. So I had my Bible, they had their Bible and they flipped open their same book called the Holy Bible right. and went verse by verse by verse. And in fact, proved to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus in fact is not God and is uh, the son of God. And pointed to very good verses. I believe it's in Mark 10 where uh, Jesus says, someone calls Jesus good. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Mm -hmm. Right. God in heaven, depending on the verse or version. And I was like, wow, yeah, my, my, my pastor was wrong. And then I left work that day going, okay, this book they call the Bible. Uh -huh. Is it really a book? Uh, is it a collection of books? How did they translate it? How could there be so many contradictions? What's going on? So I go back to my pastor. 
And I tell him, I'm like, well, I got bad news. I have more questions. He's like, well, what now? And I'm like, well, I just don't understand how they can show me this. And he's like, well, that is heresy. And I said, that's what they said about you. About you, right, exactly. So how do we know which one (laughs) has God on their side? And then he sat down and told me about the Trinity. And he's like, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's like, they don't have that. In the Pentecostal church, they don't understand it the way we understand it in the Baptist church. You have to know that the Trinity is is very important to us. He said, it's like an egg. An egg is one egg, but it's three different <laughs> oh, parts. No. Uh, yeah. This was my introduction. Another, to another, no. another mistake. Terrible apologetic argument. Uh, yeah. And he's like, you've got the yolk, you've got the, and he does the whole thing. He's like, it's three things, but it's one thing. And even as a 16-year-old, I remember walking out of that church, and as I'm going down the steps, I'm thinking, Oh, because he had told me, he goes, you can be a, he goes, you're a father, you're a brother, you're an uncle, but you're still David Smalley. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I remember walking, as I was walking down the steps, I thought, yeah, but I can't be an uncle to my niece and a brother to my niece and my niece's father, (laughs) not to the same person. And I'm already confused as I'm walking out. So my confusion time got smaller and smaller. Uh I didn't quite have the internet yet. That wasn't until a couple more years before we had computers in our houses. (laughs) But uh, I was was kind of, I started, the biggest piece of it for my deconstruction was the Bible started to lose credibility Mm -hmm. as as a, as a truth source yeah. Yeah. because it was so up to someone's interpretation. So, yeah. yeah. So no, the questions were not welcome. They were quite frustrating yeah. for me to ask people. Chris, were you a question asker? I really wasn't. Okay. I, 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 I was more, not until I got into college where I was going, yeah, what, what do I believe in? Why do I believe it? Right. I didn't really think about it. I was. Yeah. I, we 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 I think Dave and I talked about this years ago and we were on the pod like that that is something we share. I was the same like you know, I heard a couple of different times like don't we don't ask those questions here or we don't ask those kind of questions yeah. here. And especially and I have to say Sunday school. Yeah. Especially Sunday school. Right. So I had the good news, I mean for me it's intriguing. I had a Sunday school teacher who was happy to hear the question, which I can imagine looking back on little redheaded attention deficit disorder that kid that i was how often she must have just taken a deep breath yes <laughs> yes chris like i can just imagine how often that must have happened and and she didn't have answers and a lot of my questions were probably pretty nonsensical growing up but they she was always willing to listen and always willing to talk to me about it. there was never condemnation from her other people within the church there was some more and then growing in moving churches when i was 14 there were some some Sunday school teachers who had a hard time with the questions. We don't ask those kind of questions. But the the good news was the pastor himself and my student minister never had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> I mean, I'm <clears throat> sorry. I just went through. By the way, my kids who listen to podcasts called that the the old man cough. <laughs> <laughs> like I did that, and yeah, yeah, David, there you go. See, yeah, it's closing no, in there. Funny. Um, funny. And so uh, he was like, he was like, oh, that's your old man cough. I was like, oh no. <laughs> anyway. And so I was, but what made the huge difference, I I think what made the difference for me was having a dad who was a scientist and a Christian and who loved questions. I mean, we, we would drive to Wyoming and back as a family every year and we would discuss these things. I'd read a book, he'd read the same book or he'd read a book and then give it to me. And we would, we'd go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so my mom would have a, well, we later found out were bipolar headaches, but at the time we just thought were headaches, but was... And so we would, he and I would just discuss these things endlessly. I mean, we solved World War One, we solved World <laughs> War Two, we solved oh, that's uh, the Renaissance, we solved. I mean, we we would have these deep, 
deep back and forth conversations and um and it was always invited it was invited for me to ask those questions and so when i was 19 and became a student minister the first time which how ridiculous is that speak speaking of right. being the newbie you said. And right, yet, right um but uh but man so i i tried to teach something you know spiritually deep like the like spiritual gifts or something i didn't know what to teach these kids and so i taught for about 30 minutes and all of them were done i mean they were done at two minutes and i said you know what enough of this um clearly this is not what you guys want to talk about what what do you guys want to talk about so here's what we'll do we will on wednesday nights you can ask me a question and if i have an answer i'll give it to you if i don't i'll make it up and then i'll go look up something and see if i was right and we, we told lots of jokes about that but the then saying we'll do it and so for years every wednesday night was me just going okay what do you guys want to ask and the very first question was, "Why do we sing those songs?" And uh-huh. and I said, "Is that that's that's the, actually that was second because the first question was, by the way, how does this date me? By the way, first question was, 14 year old girl, do you think we're all going to die in a nuclear war?'" Wow. <laughs> anyway, tells yes. you what era we grew up in. Yeah, I grew wow. up in, but the um, but um, the second question was, "Why do we sing those songs?" And and I said, "Is that?" She goes, "Is that okay to ask that question?" I've asked that before, and I've been told not to ask those questions. And I was like, "Of course you can ask those questions. Who would who would say that?" I don't. Anyway, that's a scary version of that. And I think that is a, it's a natural, I wouldn't, it would be very difficult for me um, to engage in a faith or in a faith conversation. Oh, good, here's just some water yeah, in the I'm fridge. Sorry. We told him to grab some more. Um, uh, is a, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And it's the little one. That's not a punishment. We, we, we'll get you another one. It's because of my last name. I know. It. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so, uh, anyway. So conversations like the Trinity, when I think about it, I don't know that those were, I don't know how much those were happening for me. I guess they were happening in church and in Sunday school, but it's they were con- also happening at home. It's a confusing concept. It, 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 yeah. And so it's a, like, like okay, so just take, we, I don't know if we've discussed Trinity here. We have in church, but the, that's the, the, the your pastor made a lot of the, you know, the classic yeah. blunders. Don't involve. Don't get involved in a wan, and land war in Asia, right? That's the first classic blunder. But the um, um, with the Trinity, just he's right. There, it is not weird that things can be three and one. That isn't weird, and that's what all those examples show. You can something can be three and be one. That's not strange. A lot of things are three and one, but God's trait of threeness and oneness it has a unique expression that does because it's unique. All analogies therefore become error at some point, but. I think that would be true of any individual, any 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 the, complex the thing, creature, complex being. The thing for atheists that's the most confusing about it, or that's a barrier, as yeah, you, as yeah, you yeah. say, is that when when Christians say, and this is a uh, sort of this pinnacle of Christianity to say, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. It's right, right. John three sixteen. It's it's probably the most the most Christianized tattoo on the planet. Right. I just say, no, he didn't as an atheist. Right. And that sounds awful. That sounds like I'm throwing away a gift someone has given me. Right. But the reason I say that is because God, in, in your belief, has his son today. Right. So he didn't give him. He didn't sacrifice him. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. But he, he, he also came up with the entire plan himself. Yes. And yeah. if he is three in one, then he sacrificed himself 
sort of for himself because of his own rules he set out requiring the sacrifice of himself. And it's just such a bizarre necessity to put on oneself if you are the God creating the rules. Right. So it seems very circular and bizarre. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Right. And which a lot of atheists will laugh at it and be like, oh, he sacrificed himself to himself because you were a bad boy. And it's it's it, they kind of mock Christianity. With sure. it. But it's it's a confusing line of thought. And that's why the Trinity is such a such a <coughs> such a breaking point for so many atheists is because if God made the rules and right. required the sacrifice and he knew he was going to suffer as part of the sacrifice, like none of it would even be God could just say, I forgive you. In fact, there's a there's a, a presenter, an atheist presenter named David Fitzgerald. He uh, he's an author. He wrote several books. He's a good friend of mine and a, a wonderful speaker. And he pretend he's talk he talks about this in in his presentation. Right. Know, crowd full of people at an atheist convention or a science talk or whatever. He'll pretend to make a mistake. He'll skip a slide. Right. And he'll go, oh, I'm I'm so sorry, guys. Hold on, hold on. And he stops. It's very believable. He'll go, I'm sorry, guys. You, you forgive me. And the whole crowd always goes, yes. Like, you seriously forgive me? You go, yes. He goes, congratulations. You're better than God. Mm. And they all laugh. And he goes, I say that because I requested forgiveness. You knew I made a mistake. And you just forgave me. Nothing needed to bleed. Nothing needed to die. No right. blood required. You just forgave me. Why do people worship a God that goes, well, I would forgive you. But first, first something needs to die. Right. There needs to be some blood. There needs to be some pain. And, and why would we worship a God that would require such pain in order to just forgive someone? As an atheist, I forgive people all the time. You know what I mean? So that's, that's where that comes in, and that's why that's such a barrier for, for atheists to go, this guy's making the rules. He could change the rules at any point. Why does he require that blood sacrifice? Even if it's a goat, you know, even if it's a, like in the, in, the, in, the, in the testing of Abraham with, with Isaac, uh, with Isaac Right. And he tells you know uh, Abraham to go kill his son, and in the last moment he stops him, and that's what the Christians go. Yeah, but then he stopped him, and I go, yeah. And then you know what happens? There was a ram caught in the thicket, and he goes, right. sacrifice that instead. Why? Why are we killing the ram? Why is this even necessary? Why are we doing this? It's very archaic. It's very barbaric. Uh, you would think God would be above that. Now, if these were just like mm. you know illiterate fishermen hammering hammering out a story, it makes sense for that time and place. Mm. But God is the Alpha, the Omega. God should be above all of that. He shouldn't be restricted to the time in which this book was written, right? He should be above that. And, and instead, we see the time stamped all over the Bible as opposed to God's timelessness, which makes us doubt that he had anything to do with it. So when you have people on, do you ask that every time? Is that your main go-to or you know, how do you feel people respond? I, I try to, here's the problem with that. Cause I, you know, on one hand I'm an atheist and I'm, I'm a comedian and I want to have, I want to have good dialogue. On the other hand, I'm, I'm a producer for this show. Like mm -hmm. I'm trying to produce content and I have listeners that are signed up on Patreon to get behind the scenes content and extended shows. And I have uh, sponsors that pay to be, and I just can't be that repetitive. So as badly as I want to okay, ask those okay. questions, 
and I still do sometimes because the Christian who comes on probably isn't a listener, right? So they don't know that I'm going to ask the question. And then I do. And on one hand, atheists go, I'm so glad you asked that guy that question. And then I hear from other people going, if you ask that question one more time, I'm unsubscribing, <laughs> right. you know? So I have this weird balance of like, I'm trying to create content, but I'm also trying to get through to someone. Yeah. Um, so typically they'll say to that question, they'll say, I don't know, but I have faith that all questions will be answered in the end. And they stop thinking about it. Mm. And, and I will just say, <clears throat> it's kind of a cop out to me. That's giving up on it. Yeah. And, and I want to believe things that are true. And I want to, you know, not believe in things that don't have evidence. Mm -hmm. And so I never really get a clear answer as to why that is. Yeah. Can we talk about that here? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. If you want, let's take a minute. We got we got plenty of time. Because I think it's great. Because it really what you're talking about is the big, the big picture of everything. It's not just a a verse. It's the big why, which I think is is great. Yeah. Absolutely. So my my initial thought is, and then you can yeah please chime in anytime. The God's nature Himself requires justice being done. In other words, God's uh, we, you would probably have grown up hearing God is love, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but in other words, because God is also holy, he can demand perfection because he's perfect and heaven's a perfect place. So only holiness can be there, right, in his presence. If he's that holy, if it's, if it's true, like all the all-consuming, amazing holiness, purity of God, then evil can't be in his presence. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah. <clears throat> I think the issue is why would he? So if if <clears throat> Pastor Leg is is in charge of a lot of things around here, he has authority, he has humility, he has respect, he has kindness, he has love. If he demanded perfection, and I get it, he's not a god, I understand, but it's this is just analogous. When someone has that level of respect and authority, they tend the good leaders tend to be forgiving, understanding, and loving. If he instead demanded absolute perfection or instant justice, eternal fire, burning and pain and blood, I don't think he would be the pastor of this church much longer, right? And I think the same is true for leadership, for presidents, for anybody that we look up to and respect. We might fear a crazy president who did that, mm -hmm. but I don't think we would respect them. Yeah. So I know God can demand perfection because he's so holy. But the question is, would something that powerful and that holy, what reason would he have to demand perfection? Why would he, and he made us and he knows that we are imperfect. So why would he demand something of us that he knows is impossible and then punish us for something we really don't have a whole lot of control over? So I think part of it is the way, though, you're viewing even because my view actually is it's amazing that he actually made a way for us to be with him forever in his presence. And I think you're in other words, you're looking at it as, oh, my goodness, he's such a mean guy. He wouldn't, you know, he would demand that where I'm going like, oh, my goodness, he's so amazingly powerful and pure and awesome. And he's done everything possible to make a way for us to be there in spite of our own bad choices and sin and things like that. Right, but he, wouldn't, what I'm he wouldn't need to make a way. He could just allow you to be there. Well, unless, but if, okay, so I'd have to back up and just go, okay, if I'm not perfect though, if I'm not perfect, then I can't be in, a, in his presence because I have sin in me, right? And so it's not him going, I'll just pretend that I'm not holy anymore. In other words, he's going, 
I'm going to make a way for you to be in my presence, but in your natural state, because of sin, you're not going to be able to experience that. Right, but didn't he create sin? Oh, no. Mm-mm. He created evil, you, right? No, 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 no. The Bible says he did. No. Isaiah no. 45, 7 says he created evil. Uh, I don't know. Depending on the ver- version, some versions say he created calamity, but there are versions, I think the King James says... I, the Lord, do all these things. I create good, I create darkness, I create light, I create, sorry, light and darkness and good, and I create evil. He says it in Isaiah 45, 7. So he created, he created evil. Yeah, as, it's, not, it's not the Hebrew word for evil. Yeah, so it's I think co- you're talking about co- bad yeah. things happening, him allowing it. I think the well, e- evil I mean, can, itself. No, I, let I me wanna, rephrase since I said that. Yeah. So the Hebrew word there is ra, which um, given the context, so peace is the first one, I make I bring forth light and darkness. I make forth peace. And so the best de- off play of peace, he doesn't use the moral word. He doesn't use the word for moral word or the good for word for good, moral good in the first one. So the first one is going to be, I make this and I make the opposite. I make this and make the opposite. And the first right. one is I make well-being, shalom, peace. Okay. Yep. And I make lack of peace, Ra, which in this context is going to mean well, lack of peace, disruption. Right. Lack of peace. Okay. Disorder. So the, the King James, I believe, says evil. It probably does. There are a lot of versions that say evil. The more the more modern versions say calamity. Right. Which is still disaster and destruction. Sure, absolutely. A lot of terrible things. Even if it's just the lack of peace, that could be considered evil or discomfort or something awful. But yeah. going back to your point, the, uh, the traditional Christian view is that he, by giving man free will, he created the potential for evil. Right. But we made it actual. In other words, making us free creatures, we've got the option there. He's he, so he's making it where okay, it's going to be your your choice there. But he didn't actually create evil or or make it a thing. Well, he, did he create Lucifer? Yeah, we would say he created Lucifer when he was in angel. in heaven, right? Yeah. As an angel, but even as an angel in heaven, Lucifer chose against God, right? Apparently, yeah. So 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 he had the free will before evil existed well we don't want to we don't know when he fell some people would say it actually is genesis 6 when he fell but it could have been before adam and eve but either way it's still not god creating it by god giving creating something that had freedom whether it's man or angels or whatever okay so evil evil i i agree with c.s lewis's perspective on evil that evil when you come to look at it is the pursuing something good just in the wrong way and so so God creates good. Good is evil. Evil depends on good. Good does not depend on evil. And so you can have moral goodness exists. And so evil is a descriptive word like cold or dark. So there's no such thing as dark. You can't measure dark. You can measure light, and then you can create a word to describe its absence, dark. You can measure heat, and you can create a word to describe its absence, cold. You have moral goodness in the character of God, and you can create a word to describe its absence, evil. And so it's not, it's not evil isn't created by God. Evil exists as a anything that would be less than the character of God, which would never actually uh, eventuate. It would never actually come into existence unless God created something that had freedom. And that okay. would then, if that thing chose something other than the character of God, you would call that so God isn't creating moral evil any more than he would create darkness. He would create light, 
and then a thinking thinking things would have a word for its absence. So that that Bible verse that says he did create that. What do you think they're getting across there? So what he's in Isaiah, he's clearly describing. I am. I am the creator of of all of this. Like of, I'm the source kind of, behind this. He's kind of flexing that I'm every. I do everything. Yes. So like the right. calamity. Yeah. He is. I think he is saying I'm the one who made. Right. Uh, I'm the one who brings peace. I'm the one who. And I think actually, I mean, that would be a separate question, which I think is a. It is a tough question. And you and I spent. It's been a long time, but I think we spent a long time talking about it. Is what we would call natural evil or natural suffering, like tsunamis and earthquakes and right. and that's probably what he's talking about there is i create calamity well, meaning big big things like that let me let me challenge that because i i think so if you if you go back to i believe it's exodus 9 through i think it goes into 12 but for sure 11 where you have the the pharaoh's people are, are held captive right the way the story goes is God goes to the Pharaoh. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to this because this is, I think this is an example of God directly, not only creating it, but inciting our new favorite word, uh, in, <laughs> in, inciting evil to happen to innocent people. Okay. This is, this is my evidence for this. When you look at Exodus nine, God goes to the Pharaoh very important that it's the Pharaoh and it says he hardens the Pharaoh's heart so that he will not listen to Moses and Aaron. Right. Specifically for the reason of him not listening. So then when Moses and Aaron go, hey, let our people go, the Pharaoh says, no. Why? Because God hardened his heart so that he would not listen. And then God, in his wisdom, in order to convince the Pharaoh to let the people go, he could have unhardened his heart, just from a writer's perspective, right? But he doesn't. He kills the firstborn of everyone in the village, of every household in the village, until the Pharaoh agrees to let the people go, which was the whole point of the Passover. In order for God to pass over your home and not kill your firstborn, you needed to, once again, sacrifice a lamb and rub the blood on the post outside so that God would know you were one of the good ones. That's bizarre about God's knowledge, by the way. Just put that aside for a second. He wouldn't know that unless you killed a lamb. That's very strange. But imagine now that you are the father and you have a firstborn child that's 18 months old and that child starts to rather in pain and die because of why? What's the series of events that your child is now suffering in pain and dying in your in your hut somewhere in this village, you didn't know the plan. You weren't one of the, quote, chosen people. So you didn't know you had to go murder a lamb and rub its blood outside. So you're just inside with your kid dying, not knowing what's going on. And this is all part of God's plan to punish the Pharaoh by killing your child because of a Pharaoh's heart that he hardened so that he wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron. It's like he's the arsonist, and then he wants to be thanked for pulling you out the window at the last second. And it just sounds to me like God is stirring the pot and creating this very evil situation and then wanting credit for saving it. And the question I'm going to end with here, and the question atheists have, or at least believers have, that oftentimes turn us into atheists, is, one, why didn't he just unharden the heart? And two... If you are the parent inside who is losing the child, or if you are the child itself going through that suffering, 
doesn't that feel like evil to you? And who's causing it? So I think part of the answer, I don't know the order yeah. of the hardening. Are you looking that up? Well, yeah. Because <clears throat> some of if you if you read what happens is Pharaoh does harden his heart. Were you yes. Gonna, did you look that up? Yeah. So God says he predicts in advance when I send you, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. That's one. Then two, Pharaoh's heart becomes hard in seven twenty two. In in the second plague, that's after the blood. After the second plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In the third plague, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, was hard. Ver, the fourth one, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Fifth plague, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Sixth plague, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The seventh plague, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Eighth plague, God announces the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Ninth plague, plague God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And tenth plague, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So three out of... Three out of three the ten. out of the ten, you have God taking on a, um, and there's so th- there's a there's a few different things to it in my opinion, and and one of them is there is again the the bugaboo there is a contextual issue there you go so, um, and part of it does have to do with the Hebrew and and so but for me but so there's a couple of different directions and one is even if all of Exodus should be tossed out. That would not undermine the claims of Christianity. And that's to me, that's that's vital to me. It's not necessary to me that if we if someone were to say, listen, this was a bad translation, or listen, these people just didn't they were pre modern, so they assigned everything to God. Like they didn't the shock for them was the thought that Pharaoh could harden his own heart, not that God would harden his heart. It's it's a causational thing, like, well it happened. God must have done it, fate or God or something. Even if it was just contextual, that from that perspective, that would be one. My my perspective is which, and I know this is actually in many conversations. This is the step that is so hard. Is is the which we talked about, and I don't know if you remember this, but we talked about me being raised by professors, mm-hmm. and being raised by professors, and and I want you to get to your point. I know you've got one, an additional one to this specific thing in a second, but is that. Is and I think we may have even talked about that. Have we talked about it on another? Surely we have on one of the reconstructed podcasts. But my, me being raised by professors, so that I have a dad who knows more than anyone else in the world oh, about yeah. anyone about- but like two people in the whole world about bugs. Oh, okay, he's a forestry professor. And, I remember trees. You talked about yeah, trees. That's right. Too. Yeah, yeah. And so he's a forestry professor, and yet if I brought a bug to his office, he would send me down to Doctor Colhavy's office, who was the entomologist. I'm like, Dad. I mean, Dr. Holyfield may be the only person in East Texas who knows more about this than you. And he's like, right, so you need to go talk to him. And and um, and so I was raised around people who were experts. And so I'm always willing to let people be experts. It's a, it's a propensity. When it comes to human motivation, it's one of the things that I'm, I am willing to let God be an expert on. When is the proper, the proper case for, okay, now's the time to let heart, Pharaoh harden his own heart as I knew he would and said that he would. Here is the proper time to maintain that hardening. And even here's the proper time to not force my will on him, which certainly he could have done. He could have forced his will and softened Pharaoh's heart, as you said. He could have forced his will on him. And or done he could that. have just not hardened it. Well, it was... That wouldn't be forcing his will if he just didn't do it to begin with. Which, I mean, I think the passage is that Pharaoh's heart... 
had hardened his own heart. Right, but if God then hardened it, that meant it was softened by Pharaoh at some point on his own. Oh, I see. That's and that's, God could have just not intervened for the negativity, which was my entire point. Yeah. So this is this is where it gets hard into the into the Hebrew, which is the the language is. Yeah, that's what I was trying to look up because I haven't obviously I wasn't prepared for the specific for the specific point, but it does come to God calling Pharaoh to humble himself, and he and Pharaoh fights back, and the language is that it is a passive. See, that's what I got. I can't. I don't have time to look it up in detail. Maybe I can at another podcast look up it. But but the implication is that the ambiguous language here is that it could also be translated that God is working against Pharaoh's hardened heart. And so it could it could That would literally be the opposite. It, because, it well that's part because of the, it says it even gives the reason though. It says he hardened the heart of the Pharaoh so that he would not listen to Moses and Aaron. I believe it's Exodus 9 12? Um, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but if I have my phone here, I could... Well, I'm looking at... Here's the, the last one about the before the death of the firstborn, before Passover. Um, and the language here says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go out of his land. 9-12. Chris, while I'm looking it up, why don't you go ahead and... What were you going to say as well? Oh, well, I was going to go back to the people putting the blood on the door. Part. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, all I was going to say there, it's not that God didn't know, but what he constantly, you see all through Scripture is God asking people to demonstrate their faith <coughs> in a tangible way. In other words, those if you do believe, then it's going to be demonstrated through obedience. Okay. Um, and so my view with that is not that he's going, oh, okay, so he's a believer too. I had no idea. It's not like God is, is just now discovering that, you know, little uh, Hebrew guy it wasn't a believer. My view would be this is God saying, um, as an act of faith or an act of trust or, or a demonstration of that you're going to believe what I say, then you're going to put this on your door. So I, I wouldn't, I don't look at it and say like God had no idea who it was until they did that. It's okay. more, I'm asking you to demonstrate your faith in doing this. I, and the Christian view would be, you're always saved by faith. It's always been demonstrated in action, but it's it's going to be faith in what God has revealed. In so in an apologetic discussion, the atheist would say, then why doesn't it say that? Because that sounds better. If it's, I know which home you're in, but as a demonstration of faith, I want you to sacrifice this lamb and run mm-hmm. the blood outside. That sounds better. Like, I, again, I think you you would be a better communicator <laughs> than the author of, the, of that, of that, of that right. piece. But if also... the purpose, though, I think the purpose is just to tell, us, to tell the story. Certainly, Chris would be a better communicator to a 22nd century American mm-hmm. than the writer of Exodus would be. Yeah, I mean, there's but, no doubt about that. But this is all. Are we in the 21st? This is all pretty. What? 20. Would this be 22nd 20 century? Seconds? Are we in the 22nd? I don't know how to I do that math. That confused me. Now we're not. We're, we're still. Isn't 21 the 20 starting at 2100? Wouldn't that be the 22nd century? What century am I in? <laughs> oh, it doesn't know. <laughs> it brought up some stuff. Because it for was me to, 20th century Fox, and now we're in the 21st century. All right, what's, what? I think we're the 21st century. Right. Okay. Yeah. By the way, I found it. It's Exodus seven three four. It says, "But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, uh, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you." 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Exodus. Say that again. Seven, seven three through four. But I think there's another one in nine where it says it's like it's not God talking. It's saying then God did, did this. Right. So he would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Would you say, while Chris is looking that up, I'm going on a sidebar here. Sure. Because you had kind of implied this earlier. Would you say a lot of the people that struggle or deconstruct their faith, a lot of it they really do have tender hearts and they are bothered in in a not like an angry way against God, but it's more like that that would be so sad if that's actually you know what I'm saying? Because the example you gave I'll is you. the yeah. father whose you know child is dying. That that's yeah. a lot of the objections. It just doesn't seem absolutely okay. that most the vast majority, and this is why it's so hurtful when Christians turn on their atheist family members, the vast majority of people, I can't speak for everyone, because I know atheists who are atheists for terrible reasons, but the vast majority of people who become atheists, it's a bit like turning against a father who is abusive. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. I tried for years to be close to you, but you kept beating mom. You kept stealing. You kept hiding money under the blanket and drinking all of our grocery money away and making right. us eat out of dumpsters. You kept hitting us. You kept molesting us. That that level of torture, eventually, they go, I can't talk to that guy anymore, even though he's my flesh and blood and I know he exists. It's a breaking up with someone that you want to respect and admire. The vast majority of them start to deconstruct. And they do it in this way that is very mournful Mm -hmm. it's sad because not only do they lose what they thought was a guiding principle in their lives but they lose their community they lose the the friends and um you know people that are going to help paint the fence or meet up every sunday and have the casserole and talk about the football game i mean the, the choirs the plays so many people are are so um just deeply involved with several aspects of the church that that is their community Mm -hmm. so even when they don't believe they keep coming and when they finally stand up and go I don't think this guy is real because I don't see how a loving God would do this to his creation Mm -hmm. and they walk away it's like they're breaking up with everything in their life and it's so sad so to then be turned on by their Christian family members it feels more like you guys are in a cult rather than you love us and we just disagree. Right. So would you say you believe in any version of God? Is it just 
the Bible is more. You know what I'm saying? If you landed on I'm a hardcore, there is literally no spiritual side of anything or just not the God of the Bible? I am still waiting on evidence to believe in the supernatural period. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that is not empirically proven, I think there's room to doubt. Uh, and I think the closest I could come to having knowledge that I can't demonstrate is a dream. Hmm. I could tell you I had a dream last night about the comedy show that I did, and I could tell you all the details that happened, and you can go prove that that dream really happened. And I can't. Mm-hmm. But I know that it happened to me, so I have my personal experience, and that's where that should stop. The problem is Christianity goes that next level of saying, not only did I have that dream, if you don't believe it, here are all the threats. Mm-hmm. And here's how I'm going to manipulate the policies of our government. And I'm not going to pay taxes because of my church. However, I'm going to have huge political influence and I'm not going to pay to play. And I'm going to manipulate things so that you have to play according to my rules because you don't believe my dream. And that's where there's the discussion needs to happen, right? I would never say you're under threat of duress for not believing my dream about my comedy show. Right, right. So that that's where it turns into a, it turns in your belief becomes my business uh-huh. when you vote. Do you follow? Have you read much like the Intelligent Design, like Stephen Meyer oh, yeah. and God Hypothesis and stuff? Oh yeah, oh so, yeah. I mean, when you look at that, you just go, "That's still not empirical enough." Empirical enough? It's not. Yeah, it's not. And there's really no such thing as empirical enough. It's either, it's either empirical. Right here, we can touch it. We can tap the table. We know this is here. Versus theoretical, hypothetical, or theoretical in some way. And so Vic Stinger wrote a book called God, the Failed Hypothesis, where he sort of debunks a lot of the things that, that you were talking about. It's the other side of that. Right. And he wrote God in the Multiverse and talks about string theory. And uh, Lawrence Krauss wrote A Universe from Nothing. Mm-hmm. And I did the voiceovers for these books, really? many, many of these books when they went to audio. I don't believe I did A Universe from Nothing, but I've done two Lawrence Krauss books, one about physics and one about uh, a, a fear of physics, and then one about climate change. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've done like 36 of these audiobooks. I've produced them, directed them, or did the voiceover for them. And so being in-depth in that, I, I, I see both sides, because the, the, the apologist would come on and pitch their book, and then I would find an atheist who wrote the counter position and right. produced that audiobook. So I have a good understanding of both. Um, to me, I think... The next phase of this, and probably I think the hardest for you guys to address, is the problem of evil is certainly a big one, but I think divine hiddenness is probably the biggest, as, as big as the problem of evil is. <clears throat> and for those who don't know, because this, is, mm-hmm. this tends to be an apologetic you know, listening group, I guess, right? They're, they're interested in having conversations with atheists. So to, to, maybe. Maybe. So, so to, to, just to, to dissect the divine hiddenness argument, mm-hmm. it's... If, and many Christians ask me this, so let me just save everyone all the time. What would it take for you to believe? Right. And I used to try to come up with something clever, someone funny or someone smile right, right. or whatever. And I would be like, oh, if God, da, 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 da. And Lawrence Krauss was asked that one time at a, at a live talk I was at. And he said, if I walked outside and all of the stars were aligned that said, dear Lawrence Krauss, believe in me, that would be a start. And, of course, everyone laughed because he's like, I could be high on acid. Who knows how I saw that? Right. <clears throat> and <laughs> and so uh, my new answer, I think, is a lot more honest and clear. When someone asks me, what would it take for you to believe? I say, I don't know. Right. But if there is something, 
God should know it. Yeah, God knows what it is. God knows what it is. Right. And if he's not doing it, he's the only one in our relationship that knows both of us exist, and he knows what it would take for me to acknowledge his existence. So what's he waiting for? I've got a podcast. I've got thousands of listeners. I have a following. Start with me. Move up to Sam Harris. <laughs> Tap on Richard Dawkins. I'll shoot him a text. Let him know you're coming. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Like the, It could be done. Whatever it is that would convince Richard, what would convince Sam, what would convince me, what would convince Dan Dennett. There's millions of us, including Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie. I mean, you've got tons and tons of public atheists. Right. That are that whatever it is, God knows what would convince them. What's he waiting for? What's he waiting for? He wouldn't be messing with my free will by doing whatever it takes to prove to me he exists because Lucifer is my evidence for this. Lucifer knows God exists and right. chose against him anyway. Right. So God could absolutely prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to me that he exists. I could know he exists and still have the chance to turn my back on him. So what's he waiting for? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he do that? And I think divine hiddenness is probably, I think, is the hardest thing for apologists to address. I don't know. You may disagree. No, I, I mean, it would not be hard to address <clears throat> from a philosophical perspective, but from an emotional perspective, like what you said earlier about referencing the, the family that's losing the child, it would sure feel evil. That's going to be, that's a totally different conversation. It, well, it would feel evil, and who would you, who is in charge of that evil, I guess would be right. the question. You're, when you're there and you're losing the child in that moment, Right. When you, if you if you go back up the flow chart, ultimately God is the cause of it. God right? is the one causing the child to die. Right. Right. Which, so I would say one, there's no evidence that causing a child to die is inherently evil. Um, that's not. I mean, I don't think you would apply that to abortion advocates. That that every time they cause a child to die, that's inherently evil. Well, I don't call that a child. So we would have a difference. You don't call it a child. I wouldn't call it a child. Not not at, at certain points. I wouldn't. Interesting. Yeah. That'd be an interesting conversation. But yeah. but I don't think inherently causing a child to die is evil. There are situations under which it would be morally appropriate to do so that even we could name, much less if you were an eternal God rescuing a child forever and they're they're missing out on living a few decades in medieval Egypt. Well, okay, so our prehistory Egypt. So and this is this is such a good I'm so glad you said that. I'm a little disturbed, but I understand. Um do you remember Andrea Yates? She yes, is, but I don't remember why. She uh, killed her five children. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yes. drowned them, she drowned five boys in her, in her bathtub. Yes. Now, she did it for the same reasons that Abraham was about to do that to Isaac. It was to save him. It was because she said that God told her that was the only way to save her children. Right. Because she was having, she was obviously having mental illness issues. Right. And was saying that uh, the devil was going to get her kids as soon as they became the age of accountability. Right. And so to save them and make sure they go straight to heaven without get entering that age of accountability for the devil to get them, she took them one by one and drowned them in the bathtub and then stacked them on the bed and then called the police. Right. Um, because she had the mindset that killing a child isn't necessarily inherently evil. It was There could be a good because that was a direct path to go to go to heaven right so that mindset that killing a child isn't necessarily evil i would say from a humanist perspective it is when that child is alive and is a human being which we could argue about the you know conception or whenever that thing becomes a person but 
she killed, you know, living, breathing two, three, four, and five year olds. Uh huh. Um, but from your I, perspective, I would say that that is that's a horrifically evil. Okay, yeah. so if if we were to follow your worldview though and take God totally out of the picture, how is anything evil? Like like on what stand? It's just do you believe that's actually evil? Wrong should never happen, or you just personally think that was a something I disagree with? Yeah, that's a great question. So I am. There's a growing number of non-believers who do identify with some objective moral truths, and I'm one of them. I think I think there are things that are objectively morally true regardless of the existence of a god or not. But what would they be <clears throat> grounded in? In other words, what would you? How could you actually say this is true for more than just me? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it has to do with um, using just the facts of reality, observable reality, meaning if I pick up a lighter and I hold it to your skin, there is no debate that that causes you harm. Mm-hmm. Even if you enjoy it, it causes you harm, right? Uh, it causes damage to your skin, and there is no benefit to the human being for that to happen. It can cause an infection. It can cause all sorts of other issues. And if we keep doing it, eventually you will die. So there is a net negative to lighting your arm on fire. That is non-negotiable. There's no debate. I'm not going to have an argument as to why burning someone's arm off can be a good thing. Okay? Um, That fact of reality means that that causes harm to the human, and it does not provide a benefit to the human. Because getting a shot in your mouth is also causing harm to the human. But if it's to deaden it so that you can have a tooth extracted, then that's, it's worth it because of the net benefit. So if someone says, I want to torture babies just for fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're wanting to cause pain to something without any real benefit. It's j- the, the only benefit is your personal joy for, getting t- for torturing something that's innocent. That's horrific. It's but, very clear. Wait, but why, why is that wrong? Because of the facts of reality that we know that ch- what torturing that child causes that pain. Okay, but so, like, so like me... me Lighting fire to your arm, even if it brings me joy, is causing you harm. But from your worldview, though, why is harming someone else wrong? I feel like you're borrowing morals from my worldview that says no. you shouldn't harm people. Like, why is that wrong from an evolutionary perspective? Well, no, because, because people were not harming one another before your worldview existed. So it's impossible. We're not? Right. They were, they were and they were not. So there were people who lived next door to each other that didn't beat each other to death before Christianity was a thing. Okay. It's in, you, you've got so many years in China. You've got so many years in Egypt. You've got people who were not, like Christianity was non-existent and there were people working together in communities. Communities were being built. Homes were being built. Families were thriving before your worldview existed. So it would be impossible for that worldview to borrow from yours. In fact, it's much more likely the other way around, is that Christianity came along, saw the good that already existed in humanity, and started taking credit for that morality, saying God did it, when in fact it was already existing within people before your worldview existed. But from an, how would, how would natural selection or survival of the fittest mm-hmm. produce an ought? Like you ought to help your neighbor. Yeah, I disagree with David Hume on this. Okay. I think you can do this. Um, if you look... Because science can describe you heard what, of, what you heard happens. Of, it can't yeah. tell you it should have happened. I understand. Have you heard of kin selection? So kin selection is... Uh, when you see a prairie dog, for example, there's probably 13 in their little colony, and there's a couple of lookouts. 
Well, the two lookouts are standing there, perched up, adorable, by the way, and they see a bird flying over, a, a bird of prey. They, don't, they could just easily climb in the hole and save themselves. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's beneficial to the bloodline and to all of evolution because they're all closely related and they pass on more of their own genetic material by yelling out and saving everyone, even if they die and get eaten as the watch out or uh, lookout. Okay? So more of the genetic material gets passed on if they help the entire community. So if, if their community gets eaten and they survive, fewer of their DNA particles get passed on. So that's why we see what you would call morality in animals. We see it in whales. You know, whales will save people from sharks. They'll lift them out of the water. We see dogs running into traffic to grab another dog by the collar who's broken its leg and pull it off the road because it understands that the cars are dangerous. We see elephants mourning their own dead. We see elephants lifting other elephants out of their ditches. Why would they do that? Why would an elephant who is is looking for resources, looking for water, looking for food, help something that's going to compete with it? It's because living in social groups is beneficial to intelligent mammals. Chimpanzees do the same thing. Bonobos do the same thing. Human beings do the same thing. If we live close together and you are healthy and doing well, I will do better and I can be healthy. If you're sick and dying, you're more likely to get me sick and cause me to die. If you're living next door to me, we can both lift this giant pallet of food into my home. If I don't know anybody else or you're dead, I have to drag this thing by myself. So as a society, we evolved compassion to help one another and we also developed mirror neurons i'm not sh- i'm not fami- i'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept mm-hmm. of mirror neurons but it's that concept when you see someone you know get kicked in the midsection and you cringe or you see someone put their hand on an on a stove burner and you cringe that's a mirror neuron going that might be happening to me your brain's not quite sure so you cringe in that brief moment you don't feel the pain in your body relaxes but there's that brief moment of people flinching you know when they see someone else get hit because of that mirror neuron So when I see you walking toward a door or I see you struggling or I see that you're hungry or I see you shivering, it is in my DNA. I have evolved compassion to care for my fellow mammals and put covering over you so that we can grow together as a society. So there is an evolutionary reason for compassion and love and morality, no God required. Because I read a a book, oh my goodness, this is in the 90s. Ah, Anyway, in this book, it, Time Time Magazine did an article on this book. I want to say Roberts was in the guy's name. Anyways, but it, the the title on Time Magazine was Infidelity and Maybe in Our Genes. And uh, what this guy did is he studied, um, I think it was silverback gorillas. Yeah. And he talked about the way they'll have a harem and fight off other competition because their goal would be to get as much as their DNA into the next generation as they could. Right. And so they want to have as many... Opportunity, so they would have they would collect a harem. I know what you're talking about. Okay, I know what study you're talking about. So his point was, this is why men are unfaithful in their marriages, is because it's in us to want to just propagate um, our seed well, as much as we it's can. Billions of sperm per day, like it's right. ridiculous. I mean, it's way so, more than we would ever need. Yeah. Okay, but with that line of reasoning, couldn't I say, so if I'm fit enough and strong enough, and I want to overpower this woman? And rape her because it's going to get 
more likely my genes passed on. Mm-hmm. What in, in evolutionary thinking would say you shouldn't do that? Because evolution is not just about survival of the fittest. It often gets reduced to that, but that's not what it is. Evolution is about adaptability. Cockroaches and raccoons have been around forever because of their adaptability. But would you say it's wrong for the gorilla to fight off or even kill rivals so that they can have more females? It's difficult when you start applying morality to animals. But that's, then, what, but that's then, what we are, though. We are, but I'm saying when you, but they're not in a civilized society with laws and Congress, okay? So it's, it is a little different. And so when I try to apply my morality to a set of animals that are in the jungle— it's a little difficult because uh, they have a lack of understanding of it. I'm a vegan, but is it morally wrong for a cheetah to attack a gazelle? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, that's how they eat in nature, and there's no real concept of right and wrong to them on some, on some level. But there is this barbaric, innate level of helping things like me. So a cheetah may help another cheetah, but not care at all about the gazelle because that's just food okay so when i point to animals to talk about morality i'm talking about how i care about you as another human being but we'll eat pigs no problem we'll i'll help you and buy you a dead pig to feed you bacon right so we we care about humanity as a whole not necessarily every living creature so the reason why it would still be wrong for you to rape someone even if you're powerful and strong enough to do it is because you're not adapting to your real surroundings. Your, our evolution has to do with living in a society. And you know what? Chimpanzees don't get away with rape. They get kicked out of the troop if they are having unconsensual sex. They get kicked out of the troop if they're stealing food. And they have to live on their own. They get ostracized from the group. And they almost always die. Because there's nothing to warn them about the tiger, there's nothing to help them find food, and there's nothing to help them fight off an attack from another group. So they are, they are at risk. And that's the punishment in bonobos and chimpanzees if you do break those rules. If you grab a female and start to have sex with her and she doesn't want to, you get kicked out. Mm-hmm. So that's also a part of that. You have to adapt to your surroundings. And when there are rules in your society, that's part of your adaptability. And if you don't evolve to live in that society, then... You're going to have to live on your own. But you can, but you do agree that you can still make your own rules. We talked about this the other day, like if we're on a desert island, it's always the illustration. I don't know how we got in the desert island. Right. But if we were to Lord of the Flies thing and just start our own civilization or whatever, uh, what, what would you say? Okay, foundational rule number one that we've all got to agree on is going to be would you say don't harm? Each other. It all depends on the. It all depends on our situation. If it's freezing cold outside, there may be rules about warmth and you know whatever. If it's really really hot, there may be rules about. I but mean, the, but, but I, I think it would be, have more to do you've with. You've got to think of other people. Well, I think most most <gasps> rules are typically about protecting people who have a hard time protecting themselves. But wouldn't, wouldn't someone, you say like that's the purpose of government is to like help those who who can't defend themselves. Like, you don't just get to walk into my house. The government has a law against that. You don't just get to take my car. We have laws against that. Well, in our, yeah, in our government, in other countries, I mean, people, and I guess what I'm thinking of is history is this long story, and I think this is what Chris was saying earlier about deconstructing our faith in humanity. History is this long story of people who don't care 
about other people. It's and so both. You have di- I would you have dictators. Yeah, but you also have people living next door to each other that didn't make the news. Right, right, right. Who, who helped save lives all the time. So sure. It, we have both of those. Yeah, so you can observe them, but, but by what standard would you say that society is better than that society? Like, in other words, if it's working, if, if owning slaves, if owning people as property is working, and they're not related to me, they're not my kin, they're a different yeah. ethnicity. Well, no, but they are related to you. Okay. And that's the difference. With evolution, we do see them as related. But, so they, they are, and working for whom? Working for the people who own the slaves, but not for the people who are. So the mechanism by which to judge this situation will be John Rawls' uh, veil of ignorance. Now, take yourself out of that situation and unbiasedly, don't make a judgment, which one, is, which one are you going to be? You're behind a veil of ignorance. You don't know if you're going to be the slave. You don't know if you're going to be the master. Do, should that situation exist? And that's where the ought comes in. It ought not exist if you can't thrive in both formats. You can't thrive as a slave. It's an easy way to wipe that out. And that's not even subjective. It is an objective moral truth because that veil of ignorance removes the subjectivity. You take the slave owner and you say, we're going to put you behind a veil of ignorance and put you back in the situation. Are you willing to roll the dice or should we get rid of slavery? The answer is clear. It's no longer about your opinion. So again, the bottom line, I'm just trying to get down. The bottom line for your morality is going to be, does this harm other people? It would be human flourishing versus not reducing harm. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And, and honestly, that what led me to atheism is I felt like religion harms humanity. And I feel like God and, and belief in God often harms humanity. I, I don't think as, 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 as disturbed as, as Andrea Yates was, I don't, if no one had ever told her about God and a devil, her delusions would have never gone there. She would have never, there would have never been anything for her to save her children from. She might've still harmed them in some way. We don't know, but her entire basis of it was, was, this spiritual realm that she was taught as a child in a church that there was a God that there's good and evil and there was a God and a, a good guy and a bad guy and, and all of this she's in a mental facility now she's locked in a mental facility for doing exactly what people praise Abraham for attempting to do and that's why we go if Abraham were alive today he'd be in a mental facility he wouldn't be praised, raised up as some prophet of God so, and I think we're, we're getting beyond that and, and more people are deconstructing out of that, being more logical, being more humane, being more loving. A lot of people, a lot of young people start coming out of the faith. And when, I, when they come on my show, they go, you know, the first thing was my friend was gay. I was 14 and it was a, a female and my, my, my friend was this 14 year old female. She told me she was gay and her parents uh, were accepting and loving. And I told my mom and she said, they're going to hell. And I'm going, Sarah, my best friend in the world, God is going to send her to hell. I'd rather be with Sarah than God. Mm-hmm. Right. My friend, Trey Crowder, who's a comedian, he goes by the liberal redneck on Facebook, stand up comic. He goes, his uncle was gay. This was his whole thing. He was going to church every Sunday. His uncle was gay. His uncle was going to the church. They were going there. He would come over every Sunday and watch football with his partner. This was in the eighties and nineties. And he said, uh, maybe early 90s, he's a little bit younger than I am. And he said, uh, one day his dad just told him, the church said that, you know, your uncle can't come anymore. You know, we can't do that anymore. So we're going to have to either stop talking to him or go back to church. 
you know, because Jesus doesn't approve of his relationship. And, and Trey Crowder, and he does this in his stand-up, and he's really Southern. He's from Tennessee. He goes, my uncle comes over every Sunday to watch football. I ain't ever even got an email from Jesus. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's funny to a lot of people because he's like, that. that's that relationship. I love my uncle to death. He happens to be attracted to a man, and they're over here every week. That's where my relationship is. That's where my loyalty is. So they stop going to church. Right. You know, and I, I hear from so many atheists that will tell me I was seven, I was six. I heard that my Catholic friend was going to hell because we were Jehovah's Witnesses or I right. was Catholic and my friend down the street was Baptist and my mom told me they're going to hell. And I'm like, then I don't want to be a part of your church because I want to spend time with my friend before they go get tortured by your imaginary friend. And right. that starts the wheels turning. So that's when I say atheism, believe it or not, is often rooted in love love for humanity, care for people, and moving away from something that we see as harmful. But the, um, and we talked about this years ago, but it's, it's intriguing to me that with all that in place, you don't apply the John Rawls rule to abortion. And we talked um, about that then, like you don't know if you're the unborn person or if you're David Smalley, you get to pick. Now, what do you believe yeah, about it? You don't get to pick. Now, still, what do you believe would, about abortion? I would still do it. And here's why I would still say it's okay because my life has not formed. Right. And that woman's life has. She has things. She has a life. She has health. She has financial issues. She has living conditions. She has a whole world that she has built around herself, and the fetus has not. So right. even if I'm the fetus, abort me. If you can't take care of me, abort me. If, if you can't provide a life for me, you don't want me. Who wants to be born into a family that doesn't want them? Abort me. I, I, I do not want to exist if you don't want me in your womb. Right. You never think of adopt me as an option? Well, looking into our adoption system, it's it's pretty horrific. And a lot of the things the kids have to go through in those children's homes, it's uh, it's pretty sad and pretty brutal. So, Do you have any adopted perhaps, kids? No. No. Even as a humanist, do you have an adopted kids? I I adopted my son uh, from my, my – my, that's a long story, but when I came with my son last time, right, I right. don't know if you know this, he actually died last year in a motorcycle accident. David, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he was a, I, I had a, I wasn't, it wasn't official, but I raised him from, I met him when he was eight months old. Wow. And, and raised him to 20, 20 years old. He died two weeks for his 21st birthday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so, so sorry I, to hear that. I, yeah, I, I understand. But yeah, he, I did adopt, uh, kind of, just not officially. Not officially yeah. adopted. But I took in a child that wasn't mine, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think more people could and perhaps should, but you know, a way to stop a lot of people from having to go through that and to stop people from having children that they don't want or can't take care of and to stop more children from being born with a lot of really debilitating, painful disorders is if you know that ahead of time, you can abort and that reduces harm. It reduces suffering in many cases. Abortion can be the ethical thing to do. So what I think, I think what probably Chris would say and what I would say is, that shows so the this at this objective standard of morality applies until it doesn't and they they all apply until they don't or they all apply until because there's there isn't an objective standard it's still well john rawls or somebody else coming up with a series of rules and then he says this is the rules we should follow and of course there's no there's no obligation for anybody else to follow them and and so how do you make a call on someone like an andrea yates is that evil or is it mental illness and are those the same thing when mentally ill people right. do things? Is that is well, that truly morally evil me, or just me, mental illness? Right. Let me be clear about something. 
when I say I think objective moral truth exists, it's not always objectively morally true. Right. So there are subjective morals. Okay. And I think even for Christians. In fact, from my perspective, as an atheist, we can go, okay, let's pick something like the age to marry. If if Israel said it's going to be 19 and Iraq said 17, is one of them morally wrong? Me? Are you asking me? I'm just saying, in general. like we, The, the I, Bible is silent as to that topic. Right, but... Still, so that means it's a, it's a subjective moral. If you if you live in a culture where seventeen year olds get married all the time, sure, and then you move to a culture where nineteen year olds get married and you can't. I mean, just recently they changed the age to buy cigarettes. I don't know if you know that. Sure. I don't smoke, but I I see signs all the time. It used to be eighteen, right? And just recently went to twenty one. Were we morally wrong for years when it was eighteen to buy cigarettes? And now, no, that's a subjective thing. There, you know, one could argue it's morally wrong to sell cigarettes. Right, we could have that argument. There are several things that are subjective. Is it morally wrong to run a stop sign? What if you're in the middle of nowhere, like I don't know, Tyler? Right. And you run a stop sign with n- <laughs> with no one around for miles and miles, and you run a stop sign. You're breaking a law, but is it morally wrong? Probably not. You're trying to get to the emergency room. Right. There you go. Right. Right. Is it morally wrong to lie to someone? There are several situations where it's the ethical thing to do to lie. Of course. So, you know. I just think that because I say that there are objective moral truths, typically about the, the classic examples of harm, you know, harm to human beings and things like that, right. it doesn't mean that I'm saying there is a across-the-board objective moral standard. In fact, my argument to you guys is Christianity is not objective. You cannot have objective moral truths in Christianity. And this may be a new one for you. But I submit to you that I can have an objective moral standard and I can base it in uh, human flourishing versus harm. That's right. the standard. And the mechanism by which to judge it is the veil of ignorance. Right. And that's the easy way to design out this platform to say, we can put everything through this test. It removes my subjectivity and it just puts everything in play right in front of us. Logic, reason, all wins, no religion required. On the other hand, you guys, whatever you say is an objective moral standard changes if God changes his mind about it. So in your worldview, we could say murder is always wrong. Okay, murder being what? The illegal killing of a person. Okay. But if any at any given moment in your worldview, if God commands you to do something that is against man's law, it becomes good because God commanded it. So you don't believe God can command evil things to happen or he wouldn't, right? So whatever he commands becomes good. Even if you, if I ask you right now, whatever scenario, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not going to use right. a played out example. I lay out a scenario and you say to me, that is morally wrong. Right. And in that moment, hypothetically speaking, God commands you to do that thing. That thing becomes good because God commanded it and God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We know the chant. So if God commands it, it becomes good. That means your morality is not objective at all but rather it is subjective to the God that you worship who could change his mind at any given moment. Are you thinking more of Abraham as an example again? Anything, honestly. Okay. Okay. There's a, a 1 Samuel 15.3 where God uh, tells Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites, and then he even starts listing, I want you to kill the, you know, the nursing infants, I want you to kill the women, I want you to kill the, the sheep, auction the donkey. That would be wrong under any Christian morality. 
But God commands Saul to do it. And they go, well, anytime I talk to a Christian, they go, yeah, you know, those Amalekites, those were bad guys. (laughs) So you wipe out the babies? Like you just kill the babies? And I had a a former uh, uh, Jewish person who's now atheist, you know, Jewish uh, culturally. Right, right. Ethnically, just not in the church or in the synagogues. She told me that when they were in like third or fourth grade, they had to write Amalek or Amalek on the bottom of their shoe and stomp around the classroom to stomp out the Amalekites. Like Mm. literally acting out, stomping on the heads of infant babies in the Amalekites because they were acting out 1 Samuel 15, 3. And it was happiness. It was prideful. It was we were doing it for the Lord. Right. That is on a new level of disturbing, right? But any other situation, you would talk about abortion, killing a baby is wrong. And if you say that as a Christian, was it wrong when God said to go wipe out the Amalekites? No, no, no. When God says to kill the baby then it's fine. When God causes the miscarriage, it's fine. When God does the abortion, it's okay. So then your morality is really subjective based on God's feelings. Now, I know Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. But we see changes in God throughout Scripture, right? We see him repent that he made humans. We see him make a deal. We see him make a bet for Job. We see him change his mind and uh, bring evil upon people or wipe out the firstborn. We see him sort of love people and then hate people and then wipe people out and then repent that he made us and flood the earth and then bring things back. We see this whole evolution of this character, God, in the Bible. So he can change, and he often changes what he considers to be good or evil, and he'll make a a decision to do something. And if you thought it was wrong, you thought it was evil, and then God does it, it has to be good to you. So your morality is really just how God is feeling that day. I don't want to insult you or boil it down, but ultimately, if God changes his mind. You guys remember... um, Bruce Almighty. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jim Carrey puts his, uh, or some guy puts his arms behind his back and he, oh, Bruce, yeah, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. He's, he's challenging that Morgan Freeman is God and he puts his fingers behind his back. He says, how many fingers am I holding up? And he says seven. And Jim Carrey only has five fingers on his hand and he goes, no, ha! And he has two extra fingers right, on the one right. hand. He's like, yeah. ah! And he freaks out. <laughs> so God can't tell a lie. Whatever God says and does is good. That's the, 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 the image that pops into my head. So if something was bad yesterday, and then God decides to do it today, you then have to say it's good. So I challenge that there's even objective morality possible in the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. I think the an initial response is for us, God gives the standards because we need it as humans. So a good example, I, you know what you alluded to, is right after God flooded the earth, he tells, Adam, he tells Noah, don't take human life because uh, they're made in God's image. Right. Uh, right after he just took the lives of all those people. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Christian view or explanation is going to be we need all those standards. God, because of his role as creator, can give and take life because that's his, that's, that, that's his, I don't know if I'd use the word prerogative or right. Prerogative is appropriate, um, yeah. In other words, he can do that when, when he knows, um, like this is the, this is the proper thing to do at this moment. But he's not saying whenever you feel like it, you can go do this because he knows that we're going to have, from our limited perspective, we're going to make selfish, bad choices about that. But he sees all or knows all or, or knows the right response. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm trying to say? That's the, I, w- I wouldn't define. I mean, so fundamentally, David, what you're saying is is correct. I actually would agree with that in that when we say objective moral standard, what we mean is, the, the duties and obligations given by God. Which are subjective. Which are, I mean, they are subjective from 
him. God, right. Okay, so if you if you mean what God calls for, then yeah, that would be, it would be, so there are, there are you're right, there are general, that and that's, that's necessary for a good understanding of morality. Otherwise, if you just have a don't lie rule, then you're stuck with, okay, but how do I apply that when the Nazis are banging on the door and I've got Jews hidden in the house? Like right. it's a, okay, so... So what we, we there is a more complex standard from that perspective in that we have to decide to do what we believe God would have us do. And so you are right in that it could behaviorally change. But I would even say you're not what what you're doing there is there's a higher moral standard that applies. In other right. words, you're you're basing it on if I'm going through the stop sign cuz I got to get to the emergency room, I'm right. supposed to follow the laws of the land. Romans 13. But in this in- instance, there's human life. Right, there's a higher stake, priority. So there's a higher priority, so lying is wrong. But if there's another, so it's not like I'm throwing lying out. Right. I'm just saying in this instance, I'm going to apply. And we all have life. that innate morality. That's why we feel the need to explain, well, here's why I ran that lighter. Here's why I, because we, we have that innate tendency. Right, and I, I just, I think there's evidence that that, innate morality is developed through compassion through evolution because we're social creatures right and you believe that that innate morality was written on your heart by god part of it is because as a as an evolutionist i cannot see how the first per, how the first creature evolved a cultural sensitivity like i, I don't that I've, I've tried to read the research on it and the first one is always going to be disadvantaged and there has to be a first one who evolves who gains an advantage over all of his compatriots and how the first one evolves partnering with his compatriots, even though they're trying to kill him, like, and how that gives him an advantage, except it seems like the nice guy would always be killed in the very first generation. No, 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 no. Have you ever seen those, um, I'm not sure if it's alligators or crocodiles, but they lay on the bank with their mouth wide open, and these white birds come in and walk yeah, right. into their mouths? Right. Who was the first bird to do that? Right. Right? <laughs> Who was the first one that thought, there's some food? Right on that tooth. Let me go just pick that out. And why was the alligator like, this is cool with me. So even though we don't know which one was the first one to take the shot or right. we know it exists, we know that it's happening in oh, nature. I don't deny that at when, all. I mean, unless that, I know the bird said a prayer. <laughs> first bird, <laughs> yeah. first bird said a prayer and I don't know. No, I, that's, I, that's what I'm saying is as a, I, I have no problem with evolution. Just a, I, I think it needs guidance. I think you would have to have some intentionality behind it. My main problem with all of that is what that settles into is the the love that I think I have for my children is actually just kin's kinsman or, or kin's uh, what's kin the word selection. kin selection, and um, I think it's actually bigger than that. I think it's more than that. I think it's an esoteric concept. I wouldn't say it's just kin selection. I would say kin selection is at the base of it. But I think that when I was talking about it, I was reducing it down to a very simple prairie dog, you know, whale, you know, these these they're still advanced mammals but they're not human beings. Mm-hmm. So, so I think we have an advanced level of that. Um, surely, these, these, these animals are better at us, better than us at a lot of stuff. Even some human things like memory and reaction time, there are animals that are better, that beat us at our own games all the time. There's a whole research study on video with the chimpanzee has reads numbers, mm-hmm. like one through 10, and they're all scrambled on the screen, and then it flashes for two seconds, and then it goes away, and then you have to touch the squares in order of the numbers, the chimp gets it like 90% of the time and the sure. humans oh. fail 90% of the time. It's huh. incredible because the chimp does that all day and has learned what the patterns are and just knock, 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 and then gets it. 
And the humans, they, they brought in the, like, I think memory champion that, like, does this for a living. And he only got to, like, four or five and only completed it to ten a few times. Like, I don't know what treat they gave him, but it was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting to, to watch that. But um, I think at the end of the day, these, 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 these mammals that are just on the kin selection level, the prairie dog yelling out or the white-tailed deer that flashes their tail to warn that the whole herd is in danger – that's on a primitive level. Right. Your love for your children is on a much... You would never just drop your child and be like, walk or die. Right? But deer do that all the time. Right. Learn to walk in 17 seconds because there's a pack of wolves following us. Let's go. Right. You know, you wouldn't do that. You'd stay and fight the wolves and die with your kids. Right? So clearly there is more there. But I just think it's more time with evolution. I think we have stronger mirror neurons. We have stronger compassion. We have stronger love. And we have more ability to feel that emotion than those animals do. And I think that's what that love for your children is. It's a much For you, morality is just complexity. We're just more complex. And so we've invented a concept that we give a name to, morality. Right. Animals still act what we would call morally in several situations. Ours is just more complex. Not necessarily to say that it's always better. Because there are animals that treat each other better than some humans treat humans. For sure, sure. But across the board, when you feel that, please don't think I'm saying it's just kin selection. I think we have a very advanced level of that. And I think there's more layers to what we can feel versus what a prairie dog or a gazelle feels for its child. But that's only, it's only quantitatively different. It's not, it's not actually something, there's no, there's no, soul or spirit level there's no there's no transcendence to that it's just i think if you put both humans and gazelles under an mri i think you'd be able to measure and see where the compassion is lighting up in the brain right whether it's the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex or whatever parts are firing you can go there's a lot more activity in the compassion center of the brain of the human than it is for the gazelle and is that what makes us more responsible is is the complexity of our brains that's what makes us more responsible yes that we're we're and no longer leaving the slow herd member behind to be eaten by the wolves we're now creating special homes for them giving them the freedom to reproduce we're doing rather than keeping them from doing that that we're not we're no longer allowing that type of evolution we've, we've kind of yes stopped that yes our, our complexity makes us more responsible and that follows that God's complexity makes him more responsible than humans. Right. So if I know, if, if you, let's say, Chris, that you and I are, let's say you come to my place and you're staying. No, let's, let's, let's be realistic. I'm staying with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the road doing comedy. You go, hey, you can stay at my place. And I go, all right, cool. So I stay with you. Uh-huh. And then I go, hey, man, I'm going to go to sleep. I got to crash before my show. Please wake me up at six. If I'm not up by six, I'm going to miss my show. Right. You're awake. I'm sleeping. Right. I can't wake myself out of a sleepingness, right? Fair. Yep. So you have the responsibility to wake me because you said you would. You said you would keep me from harm. Right. Psalm 121.7. You said you would keep me from harm, and you have the power. You have the knowledge, and you're the only one conscious, and you're the only one that knows we both exist in that moment because I, I'm out. Okay. So you have the obligation to knock on the door and say, David, wake up, right? Telling the atheists that they are responsible for finding God, back to this divine hiddenness argument, is akin to telling the sleeping person, 
you're responsible for reminding Chris to wake you up. Right. And I say, no, if you are the conscious, intelligent being that is all aware and you promise to keep me from harm, it's on you. It's on you to knock on the door. It's on you to come to me. You can't expect the mindless, drooling idiot in the bed right. to snap out of it and somehow come to you to remind you to wake me up. And if uh, compared to God's intelligence in your worldview, we are the mindless sleeping idiots and he's the one walking around the house while we're a couple of bumbling idiots asleep. So why is it my responsibility to wake up and find him when he knows exactly where I am and exactly what it would take to wake me? So yeah. if he were to, let's say, come to earth <laughs> as a human and say, this is to see me is to see the father. Well, we would don't, that be? Well, we don't know that he did that. We just know that people wrote down that he did that and we were supposed to believe their stories. But would that be good enough for you or does it need to be to you? In other words, if he did, let's just pretend New Testament documents are reliable and he does That's show a big up. Pretend I know. Right. Okay. But if he did, is it enough that he did it then and left the record or does he have to show up? in your in the 21st century yeah i don't think that's enough and the reason is because he also tells us that humans are fallible mm -hmm. he tells us that humans are sinners and we know that humans have the ability to make mistakes and be dishonest yet he wants me to trust these fallible sinful humans with the entire word of god so that's like me writing with a broken pen and hoping you're going to decode it two thousand years later why make it that difficult if the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion? Why are there over 30,000 denominations of Christianity and 64 different versions of the Holy Bible, some with books, with more books and less books and 66 books in the Apocrypha, and, but they all say they're the Holy Bible and they disagree and the, the, new world, uh, 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 the New World Translation just omits verses that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like, right. and, but it's all under the same book? I mean... I'm not, I know that the listeners are going to think I'm arrogant. Oh, how arrogant is this atheist to say, God must show me. I'm not saying he must. I'm going to continue living my life as though he doesn't exist. I'm always open to evidence. And if he does, he's the only one that knows we both exist. And he's the only one that, know what it would, that knows what it would take to convince me. And I have an audience. I have a following, somewhat of a small one compared to some of the larger, larger atheists out there. But I would love to turn my podcast into some... Uh, oh my goodness, there was this big conversion and all my, man, I would kill it on the Christian comedy circuit. You know, <laughs> I would, I'm, I welcome it. My life wouldn't change that much. I would just be talking from the other side of the table, you know, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it and I'm willing to listen to it. And I'm willing to have these conversations. I just don't think the sleeping idiot is the one that should be responsible for developing the relationship. The one with all the intelligence should do it. And when you talk about him coming and dying and all of that, I get your point. But I don't know that he did it. I just know that people wrote down that he did it. And I'm supposed to put stock in fallible humans who were capable of being dishonest. And I just can't put my faith in human beings. And I feel like that's what Christianity ultimately is. It's not that you have faith in Jesus so much as you have faith in the people that wrote stuff down about Jesus. Because if that stuff isn't true, there's nothing about your faith that's real, sure. right? So you're yeah. really, your real faith is in these you know, countless of you know, thousands of scribes who are unknown, people who translated it to English in many cases, people who were behind this Google machine telling us what the Greek word for this is. There's so much study that goes into understanding what this word is. So even if you learn the original Hebrew and the original Greek and the original Aramaic, 
those people could have been lying, right? We just don't know their intentions. So it's a lot of people, a lot of fallible people I have to have faith in in order to get to that being the word of God. And so, yeah, I would want something a little more concrete than a game of telephone over three different languages in 1,600 years with 43 different authors. To me, that's a huge stretch. That doesn't sound very humanist of you. (laughs) You keep talking about these fallible, flawed, failing, (laughs) sinner, liar humans. There are... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are a wide range of wonderful humans and ridiculous liars, and they all come to my comedy shows. So. <laughs> I believe it. And they and they come to our church as well. <laughs> um, sometimes they work on the staff at our church. Ooh. That's right. Na- name all names. Like yeah. me. Names. Oh, like, I'll start with me. <laughs> are you the ridiculous liar? Um, I have been known to be a ridiculous liar. Mm. Yep. That's right. one of the things I... Could your I producer just, an external source to save me from could, that. Could your producer just cut that clip? Yeah, exactly. We'll see if that gets added in. We're going to start That's the right. show with that. Sometimes, sometimes I can be a um really nice guy. That's what, if that's what if it sounds like that, it got edited. No, it didn't. It it's that's not the problem here. That's not the case. Um, this is really good, and I I think it's really valuable. I I think um probably the analogy um uh. I think I think I like your analogy and I like the idea of wrestling through the analogy of the sleeping person. I think probably the analogy that that I would use and have used actually before is is the idea of the <clears throat> which you've heard said before the the homeless guy who knows where the bread is and and it's a um you know what 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 more convincing is necessary but I totally also agree with you. You're right that God knows what that would be and it's it's his call to make unto which which hoops to jump through for us and which ones not to jump through for us that if we say here's here's what I require and or even if I don't know what I require um, I think I, I, I saw one of the talks when I don't know if it was who you're referencing earlier but um, in a discussion or in a debate referencing the um, you know that if God wrote on the wrote on the sky this yeah. but you know I'd, I'd probably then I would think it was a just a, you know, an acid trip kicking back in after all these years type yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, I remember uh, uh, Barry, Dr. Barry Creamer. You guys heard of him? He's got a radio show in Dallas. I don't know. I don't recognize the name. It's called Coffee with Creamer now. He's at um. Oh gosh, I should have known the name of the school. It's it's a Christian school in uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, Barry Creamer, I believe he's one of the lead professors there. If not, he may be running the whole school by now. But he on his radio show. Uh, he said, "We a caller, a caller called in when I was on in the radio studio with him, and they said something about telescopes. It was an atheist. They said something about telescopes and God, and until I can see God with a telescope, and uh, he said, uh, Barry Creamer said, I, I think if we were able to see God with a telescope, that wouldn't be God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really brought that into perspective. Like if we see something out there hammering on a planet, we're like, uh oh, like that's." that's <laughs> That's probably you know, he may be yeah. on the payroll, but that's that's not good. What's the uh, what, which Star Trek movie was that? Was that like five or whatever when they they go find God and and God's like, I need to use your ship, and they're like, Wait, what? <laughs> why would God need my starship? Um, you know, a, a, a just funny, a very powerful alien. A funny thing about that is a lot of atheists will use iron chariots in their yeah. screen names. Yes, in right. Because that's the one formats. thing that stops God forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God goes into battle with someone and says he, you know, he was, he was with ran Deborah out and the, Barak. He, he was ran out of the land because the enemy had ch- chariots of iron. And atheists are like, "Wait, what? This guy's a god, and he <laughs> yeah. can't beat these chariots of iron? Like, how do you guys deal with some stuff, little stuff like that? That like, 
is, is it's it, a the you, problem you think is it's just the story you think each it's a, one of them is a teachable like i mean i've taught through that passage and it takes through the story of deborah and barak and to understand but you don't believe it really worship. happened but you it takes like two hours you think it's a real story or do you think it's just a uh, do i think deborah and barak really fought against the with god you think remember. god was actually driven out of the land because of iron chariots? no 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 and that's not what it says oh. it actually doesn't it's it's a it's taking a coin a, a turn of phrase that says it, it in the in the language it just talks about how he cha- they were they chased the people out of the highlands but weren't able to chase them out of the lowlands because they had iron chariots but the language in it implies god fought for them right. and chased their enemies out of the highlands but they were unable to defeat their enemies in the lowlands because the enemies had iron chariots and right. it, and if you if you combine it together it makes it sound like God, God, God was defeating the enemies until he ran into those iron chariots, well, and he's like, oh, same, now I'm hosed. I, what all, do I do with that? It's all in order, though, right? It's all in the same book. Oh, it's all connected. Yeah, it's all in the story of Deborah and Barak and yeah. Judges. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So, yes, teaching, it, again, we have a, and this is this is actually, I mean, just something that if you feel like researching at some point as you talk with a lot of Christians, because you'll have a lot of Christians who are actually relatively new at this or unaware of this, is... Yeah. Is the rejuification of Christianity and understanding Scripture through a Jewish lens has been vital to it's it's a I would say after almost maybe fifteen hundred years of Christianity treating Jesus and even the the Holy Scriptures as though they were Hellenist writings Greco Roman writings and there's been a a return to understanding these things as you have to you have to be able to read them through the lens of the culture that they were written in. Um, and so there's some really great materials out there, the Bible Project podcast, um, the Naked Bible podcast, and they're engaging with some of this stuff at a new, in some, in some ways that are really helpful. And it's, it's not new, it's just remembered. It's, it's the way it was done early on before some of the medieval schisms and now um, going back to, to re-examining some of these. And it's, it, um, I know you know uh, Cohen, uh, Paul Cohen, who wrote oh, Is God a yeah. Moral Monster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Copen. I, I Copen. Al- oh, sorry, Copen. I almost, whenever he said, um, we were talking about morality, and, and Chris said something about, he goes, there was this book, and I almost went, God is a Moral Monster? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said 70, or you said it's it was in the 90s, 90s, and I was I like, think, oh, that yeah, wasn't yeah. it. Yeah. So um, I think there is this, the, the you know, the purpose for having this conversation, one, is it will guide uh, it'll guide some of our future conversations and regarding the some of the um the convert you know you you are hearing you hear from atheists and agnostics and that kind of stuff in, in ways that we cannot could not probably right, right and so to help guide us as we're talking with people as far as you know what are the big questions what are people struggling with um and 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 you know some of it is some of it is going to be it it helps give us some some ways to engage in those conversations in some new ways as well, guiding us moving forward. Um, and uh, man, and it's and it's it's time. We're gonna need, we need got to wrap up the the taking the perspective of how do we how do we engage with and talk about some of these things. And what what we want our listeners to hear is these are the 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 questions of deconstructing faith, of deconstructing our beliefs, of deconstructing what we were raised with. Um, and in, in my mind, one of the most important things we talked about for our listeners and for our podcast people, whatever, is is the beginning part of that conversation that we had today. 
and I appreciate Chris you asking uh, David some of those questions as well. Just, um, man, what what a, is is how important is it that we don't chastise, that we don't condemn, that we don't chase off people who ask questions, who disagree, who who want to have those conversations and dig into them. Um, and and I'm a firm believer in, in uh, if God is a God of truth, he's not afraid of us asking questions. Right. That would make no sense. Absolutely. And I'll just, I know you're wrapping up. I want to add one thing to that. <clears throat> As a believer, when you get ready to talk to an atheist, there are several atheists who, whose entire point of talking to you is to try to deconvert you. Right. That's a real thing. Sure. But the vast majority of them actually just want to be understood right because they because christians often this this what we often get hit with is oh you just want to choose against god so you can fornicate oh you want to choose against god so you can go sin without right that makes zero sense that's like saying when you're 10 years old you're just going to choose to believe your dad's not there so you can eat all the cookies like right no he's coming home like that doesn't make any sense right <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous to think we would intentionally choose against something that we know exists in order to be bad it it's such a reduction of our intelligence so rather than look at that person as though they're intentionally choosing atheism what i beg you to do is to please understand that this person did not choose to be an atheist they realized they did not believe and they were honest about it right so the only reason you know that they are an atheist is because they trusted you enough to tell you the truth right you are sitting next to people and statistically there are people in your congregation right oh we know that do not believe but are afraid to say anything about it Mm -hmm. they don't want to lose their community they don't want to be ostracized they don't want to be some of them could be in this room yeah you have no idea right (laughs) the point is that it's a very hard thing for a non-believer when they start realizing there's a hole in this and there's a hole in that. And this is something that's always bothered me. And it bothers me more and more, the more I think about it. And then I heard a podcast and then I read a book and man, this one thing. Right. And that's go, getting to a boiling point. And when it finally boils over and they realize that they are not a believer, but they're just going through the motions and then they break that shell and are honest with you. And your response is, you just want to be a fornicator. You're, <laughs> You're not doing yourself so any favors. So hard for me to fathom that conversation. But yeah. It happens all the time to yeah. us. Like it yeah. happens all the time. So we're not choosing it. It's not something we're making a decision. It's a realization that we're just telling you the truth about. And you don't want people to not want to be honest with you. Right. That's right. Right. And so I remember in a big fight with my mom one time about this, I just said, do you want me to lie to you? Right. She said, no. And I said, do you want me to fake it and go to church and pretend to believe and lie to the preacher? And she's like, well, no. No. I said, all I'm doing is being honest, and then people want to talk to me about their faith, so I record it. Right. Like, that's my job. That's what I do, and I try to make it fun as a comedian. And she's like, well... I guess, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's really where we are. She's right. been on the show twice now, by the way. That's awesome. She, don't, she won't talk about religion, though. She, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into Trump, and we'll get into politics. We'll get into immigration. She will not touch religion. Interesting. And I said, why? And her response was, this is, these are her words, bleep it if you need to. <laughs> she says, uh, because you're going to say something sacrilegious and piss me off. <laughs> and I went, okay, mom. Fair enough. And, yeah, fair enough. So then and I brought my equipment for nothing. So there you it's go. It's all packed into my backpack, and she won't talk to me about it. She, she won't do it. Fascinating. No. 
And anyway. I think that's what we said a couple weeks ago that yeah. there are people who will deconstruct because it's the current maybe looking like that this is what everyone seems to be doing. But they're really what what the the oh the quote that Colson read was oh, someone that responding to Matt Chandler making it sound like Yeah. It's just kind of flippant and, yeah, and exactly. to not treat it that way, that oh. it's not a flippant thing, that it really is something that you want to hear yeah, where another, they're coming from. Another yep. thing is like a lot of people were really badly abused. Right, absolutely. By, sure. by pastors and oh, preachers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of which were their fathers. Yep, right. And what you don't know is the hours and hours and hours they spent in their bedrooms, on their knees, crying for the abuse to stop, only to have it interrupted by molestation or right. anger or beating or some ridiculous painful thing and this went on for 10 12 13 17 years right in some cases and then that person goes to college and then gets a degree in microbiology and then a phd and announces that they're an atheist and then they find themselves on a podcast and a christian looks at them and goes you never really had faith then right just imagine what that does to somebody who had so much faith they dealt with a monster in their home right thinking Mostly that if God exists, he knows this is happening. Therefore, I must deserve it. Right. I'm 12, but I deserve it. What did I do wrong? I'm gay. I can't help that I'm attracted to boys. I must deserve this. God must hate me because he right. says I'm worthy of death. He says I should be stoned to death. He, you know, even people who support me should be, should be killed according to Romans 1, 26 through 32. They feel like there's something out there that's perfect that is making their life hard on purpose because they are terrible. Think about what that does to their psyche, what that does to their self-esteem. And so when they get that education and they no longer believe, it's a sense of relief that, oh my gosh, all of those terrible things that happened happened because my dad was a jerk, not because I deserved it. I was never terrible. I didn't need all of that pain and suffering. There was nothing that was allowing that. So it's not that they're choosing to believe as a mental block. It's that once they realize they don't believe, this sense of relief washes over them and they go, oh, I'm gay because 4 to 10% of all mammalian species in biology is known to be attracted to the same sex. And it's perfectly within nature on some percentage level for this to happen. And it's an anomaly, but it's okay. Like, it's fine. And nothing has to hate me for it. And then they don't feel judged. They don't feel hated, especially by the creator of the universe. Right. And then they feel loved by humans. Right. People who were there for them. People who lifted them out. They start giving credit to the people who were there for them in their time of need. And and so to look at that person and go, you never really had faith. Yeah. Oh, man. That just rips the you life. You probably don't remember, somebody. David, but I'm a, I'm a therapist and... And uh, used to do that full time. Now I only do it part time. And so I have set in with people having those conversations about being sexually abused by their father, the pastor, yeah. during their entire childhood, or their multiple fathers in a row, or multiple people in the church. So yeah, I'm right there with you, um, experiencing that and the reality of the pain of that. So yeah. okay, very good, man. David, thank you for driving down here from Dallas and spending this time with us. And uh, and there's plenty of us, plenty of things for us to unpack. I think for probably several weeks um, to continue to work through. And um, I really appreciate it. And I'm really sorry to hear about your son. Thank that you. That is mind boggling. I, I just, yeah, I can't believe a, I didn't know that. I hate to hear that for you. That's a, tough, a lot of pressure. It's a tough situation. And I don't talk about it because it's, it's been a, almost, it's been over a year. It's still under investigation. So wow. there was some stuff that went down and we're trying to figure out exactly what it was. So yeah, um, there's been a lot going on for you in the last oh, few yeah. years. 
But I, I appreciate you letting me do this. And either one yeah. of you, seriously, reach out to me. Give him my info. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This. I would love to have you one on one conversation on my show. I do it. I record every Monday. So oh. I would love to have a show. And if you want to come back on too, Chris, I would, I would love to have you. This yeah, man. I love, awesome. these, I love these conversations. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, let's wrap up our time. Thanks uh, for those of you who have been listening. And um, in fact, this probably got edited into probably two, at least two episodes for us. Um, and uh, and so you can check out, uh, you can look up David uh, Smalley. And he, I was looking up some of the books you've read um, that you've, been the the, the voice for the yeah. voice for on audible and yeah. uh and other things and so yeah we really appreciate your time appreciate you coming out and uh and man i'll be uh, uh as i told you when i about your dog being uh you worried about your dog yeah. the other day like i always i, I told i was sticking with somebody i was like i don't I know David's okay with me saying, I'm going to pray for you and your dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not offensive. Like, it'd, no, be, it'd be kind it. of a jerk for me as a Christian not to volunteer to pray for you and your dog. Like, whether you believe it or not, like, I do. Why would I, why would I not? So, no, I thought it was very sweet. I, yeah. I know that that means a lot to you. And so I, yeah, I absolutely. It. I'm glad your dog's okay. Thank you. All right. She's fine. Okay, I don't good. Know if it was well, the thanks medication, everybody. On the medication or your prayers, but she's fine. <laughs> yeah. She's doing great. I don't see those in competition with each other, not one bit. Um, okay, great. Thanks, guys. And, um, well, I guess we'll see you next time.